Hey everyone, Tim here. Uh, before you listen to this episode, I just wanted to point out, uh, and you'll you'll notice right away, uh, that we recorded this episode and somehow uh, I made a big mistake. And we did we had our microphones plugged in, but for some reason, instead of recording with our nice podcasting mics uh, that I spent <laughs> like hundreds of dollars on years ago, and we uh, well we actually started a different podcast, but eventually morphed uh, or moved over to this one. Um, but instead of using those mics, which were plugged in for some reason, uh, GarageBand, which we record in, uh, used just the internal mic on my laptop, uh, which is actually what I'm using to record now to give you some idea of the quality. Uh, but that causes a number of problems throughout the episode, mainly that I am much closer to, to that microphone than Dave is. So when I talk in this episode, uh, I'm going to come across as very loud. And when Dave talks, he's going to be very quiet. Uh, there's limited ways that I could fix that other than doing a lot of manual work that I just don't have the time or energy to do. Um, so I kind of went back and forth on what to do. I thought about paying an engineer, an editor to spend a lot of time doing what they could with the audio. Um, I thought about, um, just putting the episode up with zero edits and zero audio clips and just considering it, you know, basically, a just a bad episode I wasn't going to put time into, uh, I thought about uh, recording the episode again, and ultimately what I came to is this kind of compromise solution. Uh, so here's the episode. I've done sort of a minimal edit. I didn't go through it with a fine-tooth comb uh, like I usually do. Uh, basically, and the reason for that is is really that the whole thing kind of stressed me out, uh, which is why it's been so long that this has been the can. You'll hear we talk in this episode about how it's the end of daylight savings time. So this is like a pre-Halloween <laughs> episode, I, I think it was. When we recorded this, it's been a real long time that it's been sitting here um, with me just too stressed and, and too frustrated with the audio to work on it. But finally, what I did is I went through, I cut out the most egregious mistakes or side conversations. I dropped in our audio clips. It's not going to be the best episode. Um, when it comes to the audio clips, they might be a lot quieter than when I'm talking the episode. Uh, you might, uh, if you're listening with headphones, I would recommend that you don't turn them up very loud because the volume may go back and forth uh, from clips to audio. The whole thing is is just going to be, frankly, auditorily um, not up to our normal standards. And and uh, if we were a shorter podcast or if we were uh, less busy and able to meet and record more, I wouldn't worry about it. But since we do make these kind of marathon episodes and since we are only able to record once every few weeks, uh, I decided to just bite the bullet do what I could and put it out. So better late than never. Uh, we will be recording our go home show for Halloween Havoc very soon. Uh, and we will definitely be triple checking the mics that time. Uh, but I've already talked for nearly three and a half minutes just to tell you that the sound's not very good in this episode. So I will, uh, step back and let you hear for yourself. This, uh, almost lost episode of 20 years of nitro as we cover the August 14th, 1996 episode of WCW Monday Nitro.
two weeks away from Slim Jim's Halloween Havoc. The Macho Man has his problems, but so does Miss Elizabeth. Well, unfortunately, Macho Man's problems are our problems. If Miss Elizabeth really cares about Randy Savage, she will stay out of his life. All she's doing is turning him into an emotional vegetable. Let's take a look last week into the Welcome to where the big boys play. Welcome to 20 Years of Nitro, our chronological breakdown of World Championship Wrestling's flagship show, where each episode is viewed, reviewed, analyzed, and categorized as we compile an audio anthology of our tour along the southern front of wrestling's Monday Night Wars. I am your host, Tim Root, and with me, <laughs> as always, it's my broadcast colleague, Dave Amantorp. How are you doing this week, Dave? Tim, I'm doing good. How about you? Uh, Dave, I'm doing well. I've had a busy-ass day. Uh-huh. It's been crazy. I uh, I woke up, daylight saving, the end of daylight savings today. Yeah. When you got kids, that stops being a nice excuse to sleep another hour, and it just becomes, <laughs> sure. kids don't, they don't, you can't explain that to an 18-month-old. Mm -hmm. So I woke up, uh, I watched a little bit of Sesame Street. Nice. I went to the grocery store, and then I came home. I cooked, like, six meals. Uh, I cooked some meals for a friend uh, who's got some stuff going on I wanted to help out, so we made a bunch of meals. So I spent all day in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. I went out. I picked up an aquarium for my son. We're going to have some fish in the house very soon. Oh, nice. Uh, I came back. I walked the dog. I sat down. I watched maybe ten minutes of football, and then you came knock, knock, knocking at my door yeah. <laughs> uh, to use the parlance of Sting. Yeah. So, uh it's it's only 9 p.m., but I am completely exhausted. <laughs> right. So I will be trying to keep... I've got Dr. Pepper in my cup here, hoping the caffeine will keep me energized and going. Yeah, well, I, I'm, I'm excited to be back again to do Nitro because uh, I would say in recent like, weeks and months that uh, the current product of WWE is just so unbearable. Oh, God, yeah. That. I, I really like having like going back and watching stuff that... like. A simpler time, yeah. <laughs> Well, and this podcast uh, is basically the reason why which I, uh, the reason I didn't cancel my WWE Network account, mm -hmm. just to make a point for uh, the Crown Jewel show in Saudi Arabia, and we won't go into detail on that, I think. Right. I mean, by the time this airs, that show is, is in the books, and you might be listening a year from now, mm -hmm. and who cares about that at that point, but uh, yeah, sometimes like the only reason I can't make a moral stand is I'm like, well... I do like doing the podcast, and I don't know of another source where I can find these nitros. Right. So I just kind of uh, give them my nine ninety nine and deal with it, I guess. Yeah, I I mean, I just I just don't watch those the their Saudi Arabia shows. I didn't I either. Yeah, I, I, I feel didn't watch like, it. I feel like that's my way of protesting is just not giving them my viewership. Sure. So, but they still give my money, so I guess they <laughs> probably don't care. Well, uh, and I gotta say, and and maybe I'll cut this out because I don't want this to be too much of a spoiler. Um, but when you started talking about the product lately, I actually thought you meant the WCW product, um, because I felt over the last few episodes like a kind of real malaise, a kind of ennui, some real boredom that sent in. When I was editing our last episode, I was like, man, I just feel so flat. I, like hearing myself talk about, it, I was like, I'm yeah. so checked out. I'm not into it. Mm -hmm. uh, I felt a lot differently about tonight's episode. So again, that's why I was saying, spoiler alert, uh, this was a nice, refreshing moment for me. For the first time, and I can't remember how long, I did all my notes and everything for this episode in one sitting. 
I sat through from beginning to end and wrote up the whole thing. Mm-hmm. At no point was I like, oh, I want to go play Red Dead Redemption 2 or or I want to go to bed. <laughs> or go to bed. <laughs> yeah, I actually stuck with it and I really enjoyed it and uh, I'm excited to talk about it. But before we do go into any of that, I do want to remind everyone that you can follow us at Twitter at 20 Years of Nitro. You can check us out over on Facebook at facebook.com slash 20 Years of Nitro. And of course, you can always email the show at 20 Years of Nitro at gmail.com. Now, today is Monday, October 14th, 1996, and we are coming to you live from the famous Mid South Coliseum in Memphis, Tennessee. This arena was the home of the USWA territory where Jerry Lawler headlined hundreds of sold out shows. This is, of course, where Lawler and Terry Funk had their empty arena match, and uh, Lawler feuded with Andy Kaufman in my favorite wrestling feud of all time. Yeah, I mean, when I hear Mid-South Coliseum, I think Jerry Lawler and the USWA. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Nitro is here tonight in front of 6,930 fans, 5,650 of whom paid for a total gate of $67,815. According to Dave Melcher of the Wrestling Observer Newsletter, There have been many larger crowds in this arena, but only a very select few higher gates. So this is, uh, even for this arena, this is considered a very successful show Mm -hmm. uh, for WCW. This is, of course, the 57th episode of WCW Monday Nitro, and we continue on our way. uh, (laughs) I have in my notes, because this was before I watched the episode. We continue our way on the Bhutan Death March, that is the build to Halloween Havoc. (laughs) (laughs) I, I, I mean, I think more than anything, it's just that they have so many weeks in between. I agree. I think the fact that they've got such a long build for this pay-per-view has led them to do some things that are nonsensical a little bit and boring. And not only that, when I, I, I kind of had this observation that there's a lot of the build-up that's just done by the announcers. Sure. And not nearly as much that's actually like happening in the ring. Like There's some points in which the product in the ring is just kind of background noise while the announcers talk about like oh th- th- we're announcing this match or or we're going to hear from this person or that person yeah that sort of thing yeah. so uh yeah it's just been kind of uh I-, I feel like it's not an approach that's really good for like the viewer yeah um so i think i think there is kind of like how we've sound a little bit checked out i feel like wcw's kind of been a little bit checked out the last couple of weeks too i think that's fair uh, well, to start this program, Tony Schiavone welcomes us to the show, hyping the countdown to Halloween Havoc. Tony and Larry Zabisco kick off talking about the end of last week's Nitro and the problems for the Macho Man and Miss Elizabeth. Larry wants Liz to leave Randy alone so he can focus on saving WCW, and we see replays of last week's attack by Hogan and the Giant on Liz and Savage. Uh, I really liked, to start off, just something that I liked in the show, I liked Larry was really balancing being a heel announcer uh, where he knows that he has to, he doesn't like the NWO. That's an important part of his character in the storyline. Yeah. Uh, but he still has to be a heel. So the way that he's kind of done that is he's blaming Liz and Randy for the state of how things are because, like, they can't put their personal issues out of the picture for the moment to deal with the NWO. Mm-hmm. So I just thought that was a real nice, like, shade of the character, a way to still maintain being a heel while keeping, like, storyline continuity that he does not like the NWO. Yeah. Well, I mean,. And by blaming uh, Miss Elizabeth and Randy Savage, he's blaming the woman in this case. Which is a very on-brand thing for Larry to do. Yes, exactly. (laughs) The NWO picketers are in the crowd again tonight, and we go to the ring where Dave Penzer introduces us to Dean Malenko. The Man of a Thousand Holds comes out uh, still holding Rey Mysterio's mask, which you remember he collected several weeks ago. Mm -hmm. 
He'll be facing Brad Armstrong for revenge, as Armstrong had a fluke win over Malenko on an episode of Saturday Night recently, uh, similar to how Dean dropped his Nitro match to Alex Wright recently. Um, so Dean is losing, like, a lot of weird fluke matches lately. Yeah. Uh, the one with Alex Wright, you remember he went for the top rope crossbody and missed. Uh, the one against uh, Alex, or the one against Brad Armstrong that we see replay of uh, in a few moments, they do kind of like a bridging pin thing where both of their shoulders are on the mat, mm-hmm. and then uh, Armstrong does the thing where he gets his shoulder up at the last minute. Malenko is, thinks he's doing the pin. He doesn't even like really picture that his shoulders are on the mat at all. Right. So he ends up losing the match. Uh, he's pissed about it, and uh, so hence he is out for revenge. He never really uh, got that revenge on uh, Alex Wright, although I believe, if I'm right from reading like the match listings on cagematch.net or .com, whatever it is, that I get a lot of my match results, mm-hmm. uh, he does pick up a revenge victory over Alex Wright on Saturday night, so nothing that we'll ever see. Okay. As Armstrong comes to the ring, we see a replay, uh, as I was talking about, of when Armstrong pinned Dean. The match starts with a lockup and an arm drag from Dean Malenko to start out. A second lockup results in an Armstrong arm drag. We get a hammer lock for Dean, which is reversed by Brad Armstrong, but Malenko does a drop to and the two do some mat-based wrestling exchanges. On their feet, Armstrong gets a shoulder block for a one count. The crowd chants for the NWO, and Larry and Tony argue about how Nick Patrick doesn't sometimes wear his neck brace on the syndicated shows, mm-hmm. and I wonder if that's because some of them are taped so far in advance he wasn't doing the neck brace gimmick yet, and oh, they're just possibly. trying to retroactively explain it. Yeah. Uh, but maybe it is part of the story that he just picks and chooses his moments when to wear it. This was a pretty significant NWO chant, too. It kind of... Uh, it was very loud. It kind of uh, overcomes, like, the match itself, or, or, to the point where you could tell, like... It's loud enough in which it could distract the wrestlers. Yes. Um, and I, I feel like that that's one of the earlier, first times I can remember, like, just a organic NWO chant just at the beginning of the show, like, we want to see them sure. sort of thing. yeah. I think uh, it, it is organic, but I also think there's an element to which those guys carrying the picket signs are encouraging the crowd. Like, the fact that there's a group of guys walking through with NWO signs is encouraging the crowd to think about the NWO and then cause those chants. Mm -hmm. But this is a very pro-NWO crowd, and a hot crowd in general. This crowd is is really into the show uh, throughout the night. Yeah, yeah. I I mean, they they go straight to one of, like, the wrestling capitals of uh, the country. And and they're showing that they're not just, like, kind of... uh, like old fashioned mid south wrestling, like they they're up to date with everything. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and and uh, we've talked about in our observe this segments how the USWA is like just hemorrhaging fans at this point, and that might be part of the reason why they are not getting with the times. Their audience is clearly moving with the times. Oh, sure. Uh, but the USWA maybe still be too locked into that old Jerry Jarrett, Jerry Lawler way of doing things mm-hmm. to adapt to these changing. Uh, audience dynamics that's yeah that, that's a good point armstrong gets a leapfrog and the two men block each other's arm drags until dean ends up outside the ropes on the ring apron uh very sloppily they kind of reverse arm drag a few times and then brad kind of gets him over the top rope yeah but it's just it's not very fluid not as fluid as you would expect from these two guys who are, who are both good in ring competitors normally mm-hmm. dean shoulders brad in the abdomen and comes back into the ring but brad gets another arm drag and a clothesline Malenko takes a powder, and Brad waits for him to return. 
Yeah, around this point, I had a note here that uh, Tony Schiavone mentioned that Dean Malenko is the man of a thousand holds, moves, whatever. <laughs> Just fascinating insight from, <laughs> right. from Mr. Schiavone. Whatever you call those things he does. <laughs> that I get paid handsomely to describe. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> whatever, I don't know. Back in the ring, they do a Greco-Roman knuckle lock, but Dean gets a drop kick and takes control. He hits a back elbow, which for a one count, Malenko hits a back elbow for a one count, and then it's rest hold time as Tony recaps the end of last week's episode some more. Malenko hits a suplex as Larry warns that the most dangerous fool of all is the one who fools himself. Just a very Larry, like, <laughs> pontificating thing to say. Yeah, he always, he just comes up with the, like these old sayings that almost but don't quite fit in the conversation. <laughs> right. Yeah. Tony notes that we haven't seen Sting for weeks, and Brad Armstrong gets back into things with a top rope dropkick. Dean recovers quickly and tries for a sunset flip, but Armstrong reverses it into a pin of his own for a close two count. Armstrong hits a side Russian leg sweep for another two. He then gets a side su- he then gets a side suplex for another two. He tries a vertical suplex, but Dean blocks it and tries one of his own. Brad kicks his legs like when you're in the vertical suplex and you're trying to get back on the ground or you're oh, kicking yeah. your feet. So yeah. he, he manages to get back down to his own feet, but Malenko takes him to the mat with a leg sweep. Dean, or like a single leg takedown, not yeah. really a leg sweep. Dean gets him in a cradle pin for the one, two, three. Uh, I thought it was okay, but kind of sloppy for what you'd expect for these two guys. Uh, especially Armstrong, who's thing is kind of always people are like what an underrated smooth in-ring competitor i i was surprised who uh he does normally looks i see why he gets that reputation Mm -hmm. i think it might be the anniversary of his death because i've I've seen a lot of uh, wrestlers talk about him on twitter over the past couple days oh okay um so i don't mean to be disrespectful or anything this just was not one of his best matches i don't know exactly what was going on maybe it was the nwo crowd uh chance the fact that the crowd wasn't super into the match. Yeah. Um, but it just never quite clicked for me. I don't know what exactly was going on. Yeah, and, and then you know, I kind of expected Dean to kind of get, like, this, like, authoritative, like, victory over him. And, yeah. And now we're still like, yeah, they both won kind of like, you know, I technically they beat each other. But yeah. you don't really feel like that one got, like, a decisive victory or anything like that. So I don't know if they're gonna keep doing this if like we'll get another match next week because they want something for Dean Malenko to do before yeah. Ray, he faces Rey Mysterio yeah and it's very strange that he's the number one contender for what is so far a very prestigious belt mm-hmm. um and that feud with Mysterio has been going on forever yeah uh, but this the lead up to this match they have not really interacted at all other than three weeks ago on Saturday night when he <laughs> stole the mask <laughs> Uh, but instead, he's he's lost to Brad Armstrong. He's lost to uh, Alex Wright. Mm-hmm. He finally got his win back. But like the build for their match has been very very subpar. Right. At least as far as Nitro is concerned. Maybe they're doing a lot more work, and I think they are to a degree on Saturday night. Mm-hmm. Um, but it has really been a letdown for what's like a classic in ring feud. The the other aspects of like the build to those matches has been sorely lacking. Yeah, and I wonder if they're if WCW when WCW will get to the point where if they have pay per view matches that they need to do the hyping on Nitro and not necessarily Saturday night because right. a lot of that stuff is either not carried over or its impacts not felt on Nitro whatsoever. 
after the Valvoline High Performance Move of the Week, which, what a lucky coincidence that the Valvoline High Performance Move of the Week always happens in the first match of the show. And on a Monday, too. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's the move. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> they're, they're thinking the rest of the week is pretty <laughs> average. After that, we go to a break, and uh, this week, the big boys are wearing denim nitro shirts, as modeled by Deborah and Mongo McMichael. This shirt is forty goddamn dollars, <laughs> right. plus another eight dollars in shipping and handling. So that's yeah. fifty dollars for a denim shirt with a small nitro logo above the lapel. Right, ridiculous, <laughs> just ridiculous. And I remember that Deborah said that this denim shirt's the only thing that said get between Mongo and I. Yeah, and I was like, oh, yeah, that's dirty. I don't <laughs> want to think of a sweaty Mongo just pumping on top of you, Deborah. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> And I'm sorry for putting that image in everyone's mind. When we return, the Black Limo arrives and outsteps Hall Nash 6, Bogus Sting, as he's referred to here, rather than NWO Sting. Uh, Tony refers to him as Bogus Sting several times throughout the night. And then a second limo lets out Hogan, Giant, Virgil, and DiBiase. The NWO high-five and pose and generally seem like very nice friends. Yeah. <laughs> they're just having a great time. They're all, they're all very happy that they're arena. They're happy they're friends. And they're just like... Hey guys, it's always special when we can get together. Right. <laughs> Always uh, find room on our schedules on Monday night to hang out. They head into the arena, and right before the camera cuts, Virgil very obviously adjusts his dick. Oh, like he just reaches down and gives it a good old yank. It's okay. it's bud bulged up in the boxers or something. I don't know. Back in the arena, the crowd is now chanting for Hogan, but instead we go to replays from Saturday night where Hacksaw Jim Duggan had another goddamn fucking match with M. Wall Street. Of course, there were shenanigans with him trying to tape up his fists, uh-huh. and Duggan won the match, uh, but this time, Nick Patrick actually reversed his decision upon noticing the tape. Now, why every ref hasn't done that going back for, like, a year now right. is completely beyond me. Yeah. Sometimes the refs watch him tape his fist, like, in mm. real time. So I don't know why, and I'm sure they did it, like, uh, to make Nick Patrick seem like more of a heel, but he was just correctly calling the rules. Yeah, I mean, the without really saying it, they're implying that that Jim Duggan got screwed out of this yeah. match. <laughs> yes, they absolutely are. <laughs> Tony keeps calling Wall Street Mister Wall Street, so I think he's confused by the recent name change from M uh, from VK Wall Street back to M Wall Street. Because for a second I was like, is he Mr. Wall Street now? But no, the Chiron says M. Wall Street. Yeah. In his defense, it is very confusing, too. Oh, absolutely. Because it, M's not even indicated to be an initial for anything. <laughs> so I, his mind's probably like, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. Mr. makes sense. Yes. So. Mr. Wall Street would be a much better gimmick than <laughs> M. Wall Street for sure. <laughs> anyway, he comes out for a rematch as this feud will apparently never die mm-hmm. uh it's it's like not even a feud because they don't do anything other than every like month they have a match right and then maybe they have a rematch after that but like there's no there's never any build to any of it or anything there's no reason why they don't like each other it's just wall street is a very obvious villain for the crowd to immediately hate right hacksaw with all of his usa chants and his big flag is very obviously a baby face so they just throw them out there every once in a while when they seemingly have no better ideas of what to put on television. Right. Which is just, again, doesn't seem like a way you should be approaching these nitros before a big pay-per-view. 
Absolutely. Uh, what should we put on next? Maybe something that could hype up a pay-per-view <laughs> match? Maybe someone that's on the pay-per-view? Not just throw out a hacksaw Jim Duggan <laughs> match just to suck up time? One thing I thought was very interesting is I thought uh, Hacksaw's reaction from the crowd was very mixed. There was a mix of cheers and boos. I was I didn't really notice. That's something that I've not seen before, so I, I definitely noted that. Uh, Tony alludes to an NWO segment from Saturday Night. We talked about it being filmed before. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hall and Nash worked an empty, like, it was basically an empty arena match in, like, a small venue. They brought in some jobbers. Mm-hmm. They beat him up. Well, the, well, one guy wasn't Whichever guy wasn't in the ring would then go on commentary and just like they would just make inside jokes and talk about how bad these jobbers were. Uh, It was refereed, as we'll come to talk about later, by a masked referee in an NWO shirt. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it was like it was we keep they kept talking about NWO Saturday night and whether that was going to be a whole show or whatever. It ended up being this one segment uh, and they talk about a little bit later. They talk about it a little bit here, but later in the show tonight, we'll see some replays. Tony is convinced that the aforementioned masked referee is Nick Patrick. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's like, that was definitely Nick Patrick. But of yeah. course, Larry is like, well, I don't know. Could be anybody. Right. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, here to call this fucking horseshit yeah. is our own Dave Amantor. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I decided I'm not going to give you a nickname every time because I just can't. I can't <laughs> be on the ball that time. That's fair. No, that's fair. So yeah. that's the only reason you're not our horseshit. <laughs> okay. I, I, <laughs> I just want you that. to know that the only reason I didn't call you horseshit yeah. is I'm too lazy. Right. <laughs> so just so you know, I'm thinking. Yeah, I definitely think that you're horseshit. <laughs> <laughs> so here we are with the return match that absolutely no one asked for. The match begins with Duggan stomping around the ring. But M. Wall Street will have none of that kneeing him in the gut and ramming his head into the turnbuckle. An Irish whip is reversed by Duggan, one hip toss and clothesline later, and M. Wall Street, according to Larry Zbysko, takes a 23 skidoo out the to the arena floor. Yeah, yes, I have that in my notes. Larry says that Wall Street took a 23 skidoo. Right. <laughs> it reminds me of, um, that's a, a Jack Black line. I forget if it's from the Tenacious D TV show or from the movie. Uh, there's something where somebody wants him to write a song. He's like, oh no, it's in, uh, it's in, um, School of Rock. He's like, look, I could write you a song. I could 23 Skidoo you a song. <laughs> so 23 Skidoo is apparently some kind of pop culture reference that I hear occasionally, but I don't know the origin of that. It's, it's, refer- it's referencing to, it's like slang for making a quick exit. Oh, okay. Um, and it's like from the turn of the previous century. Wow, look at you. Because I looked it up because I was yeah. like. If I'm going to quote Larry, I'm going to find out if he actually just made this up or not. Yes. That's funny because the only other note I have from this match is something else that I looked up because I was wondering if Larry was making it up. <laughs> right. <laughs> just going to be one of those nights for old Larry. Anyway, back in the ring and Duggan unloads with forearms, but M. Wall Street manages a counter with a clothesline for a one count. M. Wall Street then hits a snapmare and applies the dreaded reverse chin lock. When they return to their feet, Duggan escapes a hold with a series of fists and elbows. Van Wall Street is quick to ground his opponent again with a knee lift. A two count later and we're back to the reverse chin lock. Fists and elbows are again the cure for Duggan's predicament, yet M. Wall Street regains the advantage quickly with a right to the eyes. And here we go, gang. Reverse chin lock number three. (laughs) 
and Wall Street holds the and Wall Street holds on the move long enough uh, to warrant a hand check from referee Brian Hildebrand. And would you know it, Duggan musters enough strength to keep his arm up before the critical third drop. Since the first two reverse chin locks were broken by elbows and punches, Hacksaw tries the same escape route. And would you know it? It worked again. <laughs> Duggan works at M. Wall Street into the corner, only to be dropped yet again to the mat. Only this time, M. Wall Street is going to the top rope. Uh-oh. That is not where you see M. Wall Street have a lot of success. Right. <laughs> the top rope. No, he doesn't have a whole lot of like finishes with a 450 or anything <laughs> like that. Not a lot of them. Anyway, M. Wall Street goes for his patented fly nothing. It gets a mouthful of boot for his efforts. Duggan makes a grand gesture of going for the tape in his trunks, but M. Wall Street is able to knock him down before he can tape up his fist. This, uh... As a result, M. Wall Street seizes the tapes and uses it for his own hand. Uh-oh. With his back turned to his opponent, Duggan gets into the three-point stance and hits the running clothesline for the pinfall victory. Which is also... He does a nonchalant cover, and he just has to eat that pinfall from a clothesline. Yep. And I don't like M. Wall Street, but you still kind of feel bad. He has yeah. a... <laughs> and, He's getting paid. And every every time I see him do that move, I always remember that he beat Steve Austin for the U.S. title in 27 seconds with the running clothesline. Oh, God, that's right. Yeah, it's when like, Steamboat had to retire very suddenly. Yeah, it's yeah, just like right. the, 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 the low light of... Austin's time in WCW. Yeah, <laughs> yes, absolutely. So uh, yeah, so this match is a, is just as interesting as it probably sounded. Where it's like <laughs> it's fifty percent reverse chin locks yeah. and just it seem you know they both seem like they're just buying time until they reach like the five minute mark yeah. and then they went for the finish. So yeah, as good as it as expected, pretty much. So I don't have the exact context, uh, but just to explain because I alluded to it earlier. The other comment that Larry made is at one point he said that your brain is made of 80% water. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I, I don't remember why he said that or what, but uh, I looked it up. Your brain is actually more around 73% water. Oh. Uh, but the 80% statistic is very frequently st- cited by mistake. Okay. So that's it's not like he got it wrong. He definitely heard that somewhere because mm-hmm. that's what people say a lot. Uh, but... Uh, because I love being granular on these things. Your right. brain is not quite 80% water. Yeah, I think he made some joke that if like he's like, if that's the case, then Jim Duggan's head is like the Hudson River or yeah, yeah, some, yeah. something it, like I that. I think you've got it, actually, yeah. yeah. His head's full of water because it's dumb. So I want to specify, because I earlier talked about Duggan getting mixed reaction when he comes out, he does get a big pop upon his win. Uh, the crowd gives a huge pop, so... I always try to be fair and mention that stuff so that I don't give anyone listening a slanted view of these things. Yeah, and and the and the crowd was really like because when he goes for the three point stance, he's you know he's going for his finisher. Yeah, the, the crowd was really into that, especially since you know they can see what M Wall Street can't see. Right, that sort of thing. Uh, outside the ring, he throws his two by four up in the air to celebrate. Larry rightly points out that the tape gimmick is the only way that, quote, this moron, Duggan, can win a match. (laughs) He's absolutely correct. He is 100% correct. We go to commercial, but not before Tony lies to us by saying that Hugh Morris and Jim Powers, who will square off after the break, are red-hot athletes in WCW right now. Just remind you that Morris lost to Jarrett last week and Brad Armstrong in another recent Nitro, 
And Powers has lost to DDP and everyone else that I can remember him facing. Right. <laughs> red hot athletes. I I at that point I feel like when he says someone's like red hot or on a roll, that just means they're on nitro a bunch. Yes. Which is I think his his level for success is if you get to be on nitro. Jim Powers is up next. You've heard of him before. Right. Because <laughs> when they mentioned uh, Hugh Morris, I was like, well, we see him a lot on Nitro. Yeah. Like, he's on almost every week. So there's, you know, I don't, I mean, there's some credence to that if you're thinking that being on Nitro means you're successful. And I'm trying to remember, and I'm sure there is at least one or two, but when he's in singles action, he doesn't win on Nitro usually. Like, I know he lost to Savage. Like, he's not on singles action a lot. He's usually in Dungeon of Doom stuff. Right. But especially recently, when he's on Nitro, he's losing. Yeah. That's that's probably why this uh, match happens that we'll talk about after the commercial. For when we come back, Morris makes his way to the ring in a new vest that Tony seems really into. <laughs> what? You made it... He made it sound like that, like, oh, where'd he get that? Like, he stole it? Yeah, he did seem suspicious. Has, has, he was like, into it and suspicious of it. Yeah, but it also has, like, the laughing, like, the, the theater masks on it. Yeah. It's, like, clearly embroidered for him. <laughs> yes, it was like, definitely something he ordered yeah, for himself. He, he stole it from, like, another guy named Humorous. <laughs> Out next is Jim Powers, along with what I have in my notes here is Teddy Hart. <laughs> I definitely met Teddy Long. <laughs> He came over eh, with Teddy Hart was like 12 at this point, so that would have been fascinating. <laughs> but no, it's it's Teddy Long. <laughs> Teddy Hart. Tony talks about the capacity crowned on hand and offers a very special thank you. I tell you, what an event we have here tonight. Capacity crowd on hand. Everybody having a great time. We'd like to take a few moments here to to have a very special word of thanks for Mr. Lawler for helping promote this event and putting all these people in the seats. The biggest crowd ever here at the Mid-South Coliseum. And here we go, this one-on-one matchup. And we'll see him at the flea market on Thursday. Thanks very much. That's what I... We're set to go here for WCW Monday Nitro and having a great time. He's selling fleas now? Tony thanks Mr. Lawler for helping promote the event and sell tickets, claiming, uh, a little falsely, that it is the biggest event ever at the Mid-South Coliseum. Again, as we talked about at the top of the show, very successful show, Mm -hmm. especially money-wise. Still not technically the biggest, but uh, it's not completely outside the realm of credulity to claim such a thing. Sure. Uh... You might remember, uh, people that'll listen to the show, that, uh... We've talked about in Observe This segments recently how Lawler was uh, discouraging Memphis fans from going to the show. He was telling them, don't go to the show. Uh, you can watch it for free at home, was stuff he said. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said, if you absolutely must go to the show, you need to know that last time WCW came here, they gave out all these free tickets. So even if you want to go, you can just get a free ticket. Mm-hmm. So he did everything he could as a WWF employee to try to discourage his local hometown fans from going to the show, and uh, it completely failed, and fans showed up. And clearly, for whatever reason, Eric Bischoff uh, has outsourced this week's, like, gloating. This seems like such a Bischoff move. You know that he told Tony to say this. Right. Uh, But instead of saying it himself, he's he's getting it out through Shivani this week. Because I didn't do any, I didn't do any, like, uh, like research into that. So when he said that, I was like, that's really weird for him to thank him. 
Yeah, I, I remember when I first brought up Lawler talking shit, uh, I said that we would talk about it down the line, and this was what it was building towards. It was, okay. Lawler talks a bunch of shit, WCW does really well, and right. then they sarcastically thank him on air, and just really rub it in yeah. that he doesn't have the influence among the local fans that I guess he thinks he does. Yeah. Um, and, and I guess it's like, if you ask Tony Giovanni to like convey sarcasm, he just can't really. Yeah. yeah. It. Cause he's, it's pretty straightforward. He's like a thank you to Mr. Lawler for his help. And it's like, Oh sure. Oh, okay. He's thanking like, okay. Why? Yeah. And, uh, Tony does add that you can, and, and you're right, because he, he does it so earnestly that you almost can't pick up that it's an insult. Right. But he adds that you can see Lawler at the flea market on Thursday. And like, oh, that's true. Lawler is at the flea market on Thursday, but he's yeah. definitely saying that because it's an insult that he's at the flea market. <laughs> and then Larry even goes, oh, he's selling fleas now? Right. So like... They're getting some nice little jabs in. I really actually liked that moment of flexing on Bischoff's part. I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> and actually having Tony do it is like, this is below Bischoff to right. do himself. He's yeah. having the other guy get these lines out, you know? That's yeah. that's doubly insulting. Bischoff's not going to bother himself with like addressing Mr. Lawler. <laughs> well, back to the match. Uh, prior to it starting, Teddy Long and Nick Patrick argue before the bell even rings... But the match starts without insult as the two big men lock up and Jim Powers gets a side headlock. Hugh Morris escapes and gets a shoulder block on Powers and then another lockup and another side headlock. But this time Morris gets a leapfrog. He then celebrates too long and Jim Powers hits a scoop slam. They come off the ropes some more until Powers hits a crossbody for one. Powers gets a couple of Irish whips and a hip toss and Morris heads to the outside. Having recovered, he gets back on the apron and Powers pulls him back into the ring, doing my least favorite wrestling trope, where the guy is holding the top rope, and you pull it really hard, and he has oh. to then flip over the top rope. Yeah. Uh, I know we've talked about it at least one episode before. That is my least favorite spot in wrestling, because everyone in the crowd can easily think, if I were holding a rope, and a guy pulled on the rope, would it make me do a complete forward flip? No, it wouldn't. Like... I don't need wrestling to be real, yeah. but there's some spots that strain credulity so much that they just bother the shit out of me, and that has always been my least favorite spot. Uh, my mine are the the slingshot. Yes, I know you hate the slingshot and the monkey flip and right? the monkey flip. Those, yeah, those two in particular. But yeah, that one too. I mean, like particular moves. I mean, and there are there is certainly places where there's like suspension of disbelief when right. it comes to like the physics or like being press slammed. Yeah. You know, like yeah, yeah, yeah. If you didn't want to be press slam, you could prevent that. But yeah. Like, but you could at the very least, like, land on, like, your knee and, like, your hands. Like, you could stop yourself from just falling on your face. Right. But, but yeah, something like that where they, they slingshot them into the ring with the ropes. It's just, I, I just don't, there's nothing remotely about the physics of that that makes sense. Yeah. I'm more willing to believe an Irish whip. Where, like, in reality, it's just, why wouldn't you stop running? You don't have to keep running. <laughs> right. But I'll believe an Irish whip way before I'll believe the pull on the top rope guy flips over the top. Yeah. It just bug bugs the shit out of me. <laughs> Powers then tries a back body drop, but Morris kicks him before choking him on the middle rope and then on the top rope. Larry uh, says during these choke spots that he has a legal four count. 
and I don't know if that's a WCW difference from WWF. Uh, in WWF, you, you have till five. Uh, that's kind of like the industry standard now. Uh, Daniel Bryan popularized the yelling, I have till five. Mm-hmm. Um, but here, Larry Larry says on several occasions, a four count. And I don't know. I wonder if that's the WCW way of doing things. Or if Larry's just wrong. I, I honestly don't know. Or maybe he's thinking that you, you have the four they don't bother you with, but then they break it up at five. That could be. You have four legal seconds and then one questionable second. Right. Where it's at the discretion of the referee. Yeah, because I'm pretty sure they count to five in WCW. I would well. think so. It would I, Four I, would be a really random place to put the cutoff. Right. So I think that he's like arguing semantics. About that could it. be. Morris hits a vertical suplex for one. He then clotheslines Powers and signals for the no-laughing-matter moonsault, but decides that the crowd doesn't yet deserve it. Ooh. Instead, he covers Powers for a one-count. Tony tells us that the doctors have told that Rick... F- Tony tells us that doctors have told Rick Flair that he cannot compete at Halloween Havoc thanks to the NWO attack we saw last week. Tony also mentions that the NWO stole the U.S. title belt, uh, so this is probably a good time to t- just point out, kind of get it on record... That uh, when the NWO was at the hotel two weeks ago, we talked about how they received like a mystery gift. Okay. And you could hear off screen right as that segment kind of ended. Off screen, the giant said that he had the U.S. title belt. So it was sort of implied that this mystery gift that was sent to them was the U.S. belt that had been taken from Flair somehow. Oh, sure. That must have been some kind of storyline that was dropped. Because instead... Last week, Flair had the belt, the NWO attacked him, then they stole the belt from him. Mm-hmm. So I just, uh, just for posterity's sake, I want to say that that whole thing with the mystery gift has been like, that's a dangling thread that will just never be resolved. Yeah. That that storyline, as far as we're concerned, is done. It was going to be the U.S. title belt, but then that just, they just went another direction for whatever reason. Or maybe, maybe the production, it got cut off when it wasn't supposed to be cut off, and they're like... Could be. That didn't really go well. Let's try it again. And also, based on reading uh, Meltzer's notes, it seemed like they were really unsure how long Flair was going to be gone. So they might have, at the time of that skit at the hotel, they might have thought that Flair could compete at Halloween Havoc. And then when it turned out he couldn't, they just kind of had to work around it in a different way. Oh, sure. So, like, if he was wrestling, the, the gimmick, the angle would be that Giant comes in with his title. Yeah, somehow somebody stole it, and then maybe, like, maybe it's a story about who stole his title, who's who's on the inside of Ric Flair's life. That's Maybe it's Liz, you know, something sure. like that. Mm-hmm. But they just, they had to decide something else when Flair it was going to be out for months. Tony says that Flair has had an MRI and is at home tonight. Shivani also says that they will announce tonight who will be replacing Ric Flair at the Slim Jim's Halloween Havoc. Oh, Back in the ring, we get a scoop slam by Morris, who misses the subsequent elbow drop. Powers then hits some strikes and a 10-count turnbuckle face smash. Uh, he gets to 9 on one turnbuckle and then goes across the ring for the other, the final 10. <laughs> Crowds love counting. Like, if you're a young guy breaking into this business, work in a counting spot in every one of your matches, and you will get over. I firmly believe that. Right. And I, and I, and I think Elisa in... American wrestling that this is a newer thing, but um, doing it in Spanish for the Spanish wrestlers. Oh, I didn't. I haven't even noticed that. um, I know that because for a while it was just counting ten. Every every number was ten because of Ty Dillinger. Oh yeah. So ten, 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 just every single one. That was, and God, that's gotta fuck with refs. 
<laughs> yeah, I can imagine. I mean, yeah, I can imagine how that was very confusing. Yeah. You're doing like the count for the count out and just yeah. every the crowd chanting 10 on every number you say? Yeah. God, that's going to be a nightmare. Anyway, I'm sorry. You were saying that they, they say Spanish now? I, I've not seen that actually. Um, I mean, I did, they did a little bit when um, Del Rio had that brief return to WWE yeah. because they also did C instead of Yes. Yeah, I remember the C chance. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I was I was pretty sure that they did the Uno Dos Trace for him. Powers follows with a sunset flip for a two count. Apparent moron Teddy Long hops onto the apron to claim that it was a slow count, but it wasn't. Yeah. Uh, there are shenanigans coming, but like it seems like Long jumped the gun here because he gets up to complain about nothing. Uh, he just drops back down to the floor. Nothing happens. It's not like a distraction spot. There's no reason for it. Yeah. It's just very confusing. So he probably just missed his cue. I think that's exactly it. Or... Nick Patrick missed his cue, and Long thought he had to react as if, you know, according to plan. Yeah. Powers gets a power slam, and now Patrick does count very, very slowly. Long again jumps up on the apron, so I assume this is where he was supposed to in the first place. Right. And this distracts Powers. Morris nails Powers from behind and whips him into the corner. Morris goes for a suplex, but Powers reverses, and Nick Patrick... Evidently hurts his neck trying to move out of the way. Yeah. Like, he doesn't actually get hit, but just in the jerking motion, uh, he hurts his neck and he re-aggravates that, that sprained neck. Oh, bummer. Powers cradles Morris, but Patrick is just too hurt to even count this time. Long gets up on the apron again to complain, and Powers goes to confer with him, which is stupid since last time that happened... One minute ago, Hugh Morris attacked him from behind. <laughs> right. You'd think he'd, that would be a good reminder. Like, he escaped that one. Uh-huh. So maybe it's a good reminder to keep your eye on the ball here, Jim Powers. Yeah. But uh, no, of course he doesn't. So Morris gets him from behind and hits a back suplex to set up the No Laughing Matter Moonsault and a 1-2-3 victory. Hugh Morris gets a little bit of his heat back after dropping a couple of Nitro matches lately. And the Teddy Long versus Nick Patrick uh, mini feud right. program, whatever angle, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. uh, continues. I thought this match was fine, uh, especially considering that one of the people was Jim Powers. Like, we didn't get that point that happens in a lot of Jim Powers matches where he runs out of ideas and does a bunch of stuff he's already done. Yeah. Uh, which you remember, the last Hugh Morris match we had, he kept doing that uh, thing where he was going for a back body drop and getting, like, uh, kicked by it, and he just, like, never learned his lesson. Mm-hmm. Uh, this time, they actually, like, it, it made more of a logical sense from A to Z. I thought this match was uh, was pretty okay. What do you think? Yeah, I thought it was fine. Um, you know, I, I can see how Taylan could be confused by Nick Patrick's counts because his counts as they are are Oh, slow. yeah. Nick Patrick fucking sucks. <laughs> He's the, the goddamn worst. Yeah. Um, I also, I just wanted to mention that just because it's different, I like the way that Hugh Morris covers people when he does like kind of splits on them. Oh sure, yeah. It's just it's just different, and I like yeah. I like seeing something just a little bit different. Um, and it's also just uh, just a little bit uh, um, emasculating for that guy to be covered yes. that way. Agreed. So, uh, just it just uh, you know, if you're a heel, cover like a heel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do the arrogant cover or just something that really demeans your opponent. I think that's smart. Yeah, or. Like when um, when you put like the elbow in their face. Yeah, that that's a good one. 
Teddy Long gets into the ring and argues with Nick Patrick about the counting. They really scream at each other. Like, yeah. they're getting into it, mm-hmm. and we go to commercial. When If it gets down to, like, the 10% warning, then let me know. Okay. On Saturday night, Rough and Ready will face the Faces of Fear, uh, which I just... I always kind of mention the Saturday Night promo, but I especially want to mention that one so that we can give an RIP to Dick Slater, who has passed away since our last recording. Oh. I know that we've made some uh, maybe not pleasant jokes about his appearance, um, but like, look, the guy wasn't meant to be beautiful. He was a tough, tough guy wrestler. I don't think we've ever like impugned his skill mm. or anything like that or said that he wasn't trying out there. He's been a fun character. He was never a major guy in the Nitro era. His his time had already passed him by. He was in his mid-40s by then. Um, and like I, we've talked about before, that he's sort of, uh, in our timeline, he's he's very close to a career-ending mm-hmm. injury. Uh, but I just want to wish happy trails uh, to Dick Slater. Maybe, yeah. uh, well, I mean, like back in the 70s, he was a, a much bigger deal absolutely. In, in like the Mid-Atlantic region because he was a television champion a few times. Yeah. And that was back when, like, Ric Flair was contending for the TV title. Yes. And, like, Roddy Piper and guys like that. So, yeah. he was a prominent... I mean, there's a reason why that he was brought in at this, like, at his elder age, as far as a wrestler's concerned. Yeah. Is because he had a reputation of being a... And, and I, I thought, uh, like, for him and Bunkhouse Buck, is kind of just like an old That was school. a fun combo. Yeah, they were, they were a fun team, especially yeah. since, like... Anyone they faced was going to be completely different than them. Yes, um, and they matched up really well with someone like Colonel Robert Parker. So, um, so th- this probably goes without saying, but I just want to say that we we have fun here on the show. We say things about these guys that aren't flattering, but like mm-hmm. they're all these guys are putting their bodies on the line to entertain us. They all deserve respect. So, like, oh, yeah. one day, Greg Valentine's going to die, and I'm going to have a reckoning with with all the things I've said about him. Right. But like. Uh, as much as we have fun, like he's a he deserves respect. They're all people. Uh, I don't know even what I'm saying, but just when he died, I was like, oh, the last time he came up on the show, I was calling him just ugly and this and that. I, I just felt bad about it, and um, I just wanted to tell the audience, like, I'm never going to change the the tone of the show where we right. have have fun with these guys. But like, we always try to come at with a with a little bit of respect for the fact that these guys are even doing this in the first place, so that. Chowderheads like you and me can pick it apart and have fun. Well, I mean, if we're, I mean, you know, poking fun at mid car wrestlers are, are one thing. I, I don't think we feel super passionate about a lot of these guys are really mean. Yeah. Be really, like, for example, not a lot of tears will be shed on my side when Hulk Hogan passes away. Sure. Because he's an awful person. Yeah. But, I mean, most most of these guys are just people making a, making their living in a sport that's very unforgiving and and does not like care for their own either. So, um, it like you like you said like all these guys deserve the respect because it it's a fucking tough job to have. It's just an insane business, and uh, it's better now than it was uh, then, and it was better then than it was twenty years before then. Yeah, and even uh, now it's not great because no, they, it's they, not because they don't get health insurance from their own employers. They work like. 300 plus days of the year it's awful so rest in peace uh dick slater we we will miss you and i'll miss saying dirty dick dirty dick (laughs) also on that episode of saturday night you can see lex luger macho man randy savage dime dallas page chris jericho the nwo and much much more yeah so there 
I mean, for being like a secondary show back when like secondary shows weren't really a thing. Yeah. They're still loading up Saturday night. Oh, the fact that the NWO are on it makes it a must-see program. Like we should probably, if we weren't already putting weeks between our episodes, right. we should do bonus episodes where we talk about Saturday night, you know, because uh, th- that like NWO segment specifically, that mm-hmm. sounds like a pretty major thing. Or we had the other one, the the famous thing where they uh, wrecked Lex Lex Luger's uh, rental car. Yeah, and the giant got stuck with a bill in real life. Uh, right. That happened on a Saturday night. That's like a big segment. Yeah. So at least at this point in October of 1996, WCW is still putting pretty major angles mm-hmm. on Saturday night. But and like but like I said um, earlier, that they just they have a very hard time connecting the two. Yes. They they mention things on Saturday night, but you just you don't get the impact of of what happens on Saturday night is really that important. I think some of that is a function of Saturday night often being taped. I mean, they're always taped, but sometimes it's taped weeks in advance. Sometimes you're seeing, it's kind of like NXT. One episode was, was taped three days ago, but then eventually you're watching an episode that was taped nearly a month ago. Mm -hmm. So sometimes like that fresh episode is pretty cool, but eventually they're playing things very boring because they have to be safe. They have to think like, Okay, if this airs and our champion got hurt, mm-hmm. what is what is still going to make sense as a logical show? Yeah. Um, so Saturday night, like I think, often the t- the episodes that were taped most recently can still be good, but kind of when you get to the end of that stretch of tapings, they they start kind of losing quality a little bit. There is a a great video on YouTube that um, a guy interviews Kevin Nash about about being a Booker. Oh, I remember that where he's talking about. Writing Nitro and uh, Thunder and Saturday Night, right? Right, and the idea yeah. of like I need of like because they put it they put up like a big calendar yeah. explaining like I need to make sure that like these guys are wrestling because these guys were taped wrestling, right? And it has to make sense. And it sounds like the worst. <laughs> yeah, and then we've got this plan that that carries us from this show to this show to the next show. Mm-hmm. But if in the interim this guy gets hurt. Everything has to be redone. Right. Everything. Yeah. Everything has to be redone. It, it does sound like a nightmare. Or or when he, he said something like, or someone says, I'm not going to do that, brother. <laughs> yes. <laughs> for, for example. <laughs> and you really understand why, um, for a lot of reasons, not just like dual touring schedules, why for WWE in the current day, having Raw and SmackDown as separate entities makes a ton of sense. Yeah. Because writing both shows as a continuation of one another is difficult as hell. Yeah. Uh, back to Nitro, Shivani says that he will be talking to Nick Patrick later on in this program about the million-dollar fine that Patrick has requested be levied against Randy Macho Man Savage. I can't wait <laughs> for another interview with Nick Patrick. As one of our listeners pointed out to me on Twitter, we then hear the music of the Hollywood Blondes slash Stunning Steve Austin. But instead of either one of those guys, we instead get Greg the Shovelface Wet Dog Valentine. <laughs> oh, so that's what that music is. Yes. Okay. And uh, Shovelface Wet Dog was specifically, that was given to us by that same listener. Uh, <laughs> so I want to give a thank you to Ryan, a.k.a. at Shark Bearwolf. Ooh. <laughs> for that Greg Valentine zinger. The worst animal is the <laughs> Shark Bearwolf. Uh, And I would like to announce that from now on, for any episode, uh, if you want to contribute to our show, you can definitely submit your insults for Greg Valentine (laughs) to our Twitter at 20 Years of Nitro, 
And uh, if, you, if you don't have Twitter, email them to 20yearsofnitro at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. And uh, as time allows, you know, there's only so many Greg Valentine matches we're going to get. I don't know how many submissions we'll get. Right. But if you submit a zinger for Greg Valentine, mm-hmm. uh, and it makes me laugh, I will read it on the air. <laughs> and uh, I think we've said Shovel Face before on our own, but Wet Dog really made me laugh. So, <laughs> so compliments to you, Ryan, uh, and everyone should give a follow to at SharkBearWolf. Nice. Lex Luger comes out to face Gregors, and we get replays of Arn Anderson's chair attack on Flexi Lexi last week. Mm-hmm. Lex has his ribs taped up as he comes to the ring, and after a commercial, this match is going to be called by our own Dave Amantor. Okay. Well, I was going uh, to introduce Greg Valentine. Here comes a man with the face of a crust, crusty cheese grater and the hair of an alcoholic born-again Christian just trying to get visitation rights with his kids. Jesus Christ. Christ. Wow. So the bar has been set pretty high, yes. uh, anyone that's looking to submit. Well, that is amazing. Oh, my God. Because well, uh, we mentioned before that Tim is the one yeah. that kind of signs the matches. And I was I was like, oh, man, he signed me a Greg Valentine. That that There's a lot more to that than just calling a match. Cheryl, just let me see the kids. <laughs> I've been going to church. I'm off the sauce. <laughs> I got my three-week chip. Please let me see Brian. I want to bring him to that baseball game. <laughs> oh, Cheryl, God. Cheryl, Cheryl, open the door. I know you're getting these texts. You have read receipts turned on. <laughs> like I said, when he dies, we're going to have a lot to answer to. <laughs> We'll just probably do a highlight clip of this. Um, I also I also noticed that when Luger came out, for one thing, he has like a single strand of of tape around his waist. Yeah, he doesn't want to cover up too many of those muscles. But his abs are like they're rippling through the tape. Yeah, I noticed. Yeah, but I I guess. Because, so, I mean, if you're picturing it, it's just above his tights. Right. To the point where it's, like, kind of, like, halfway in the tights. I don't really feel like that's where the ribs are. Not in my experience. <laughs> but he got, hit, he got hit in a lot of places with a chair, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, so we begin the match with Valentine, who really looks like he's wearing adult diapers for ring gear. Starts on the offensive with a wrist lock. Luger eventually counters with a wrist lock of zone, which he quickly turns into a headlock. Valentine no-sells a hip toss, dropping Luger to his knees with a series of forearm smashes. He whips Luger into the ropes and tries for a back body drop, but the total package drops his forearms across Valentine's back. However, his attempt at a suplex is in vain as his injured ribs start acting up on him. Valentine drops an elbow on Luger's back as we cut to Arn Anderson, who's telling a television to stay on the back for some reason. He's definitely one of these people who thinks that uh, the people on the TV can hear you if you just shout at it loud enough. <laughs> he keeps poking in. He's like, yeah. I'm He's like, flicking <laughs> tiny Greg Valentine in the head. Right. Keep hitting him in the back. Do stop. I know you hear me. <laughs> uh, so we get lots and lots of forearms to the ribs, courtesy of the hammer. While we get more of the same from Valentine, the fans stand up and the camera pans to the arena concourse, where we see, oh, it's just Vincent and Ted DiBiase. 
<laughs> they're watching, and they're not really doing anything. But yeah, watching. they literally just stand there. It's nothing. While we stare at them, staring into the ring, Tony Schiavone says that Hollywood Hogan demands an opportunity to make an announcement tonight. Oh, goody, I cannot wait. They seem incredulous that he's been allowed the opportunity to speak. Like, I know that they don't like the NWO. He is the WCW heavyweight champion. Right, I felt, isn't that, doesn't that kind of earn him something? Yeah, if he, he wants to make an announcement, I feel like that's not an unreasonable <laughs> request, to be quite <laughs> right. honest with you. Um, and I th- I think somewhat, I, maybe Larry makes the point where it's like, if we don't give him the opportunity, he's just going to take it anyway. That's a good point. Um, I don't remember if he says that or if that's in hour number two. But sure. Someone makes that point, which I was like, yeah, that, that makes sense. Yeah. If he asks for it, just give it to him and then no one gets hurt. Right. Luger makes a slight rally from his knees, but the hammer puts an end to it with an elbow to the neck as we return to Vincent and Ted DiBiase doing nothing. <laughs> Valentine stops and Valentine stomps and drops knees to Luger's back. A couple a couple more forearms to the back, and a Valentine cover gets only two. Valentine whips Luger into the ropes, but Lex ducks a clothesline before the two cabans collide in the middle of the ring. Finally, we get the Lex Luger rally, countering Valentine's attacks before hitting an atomic drop and a clothesline. There's a flying forearm from the total package, but the hammer kicks out at two. Luger whips Valentine into the corner, but Greg counters with a boot to the face. He rolls up Lex and puts his foot on the ropes, which a referee notices and stops the count at two. So, of course, Valentine, being the idiot that he is, thinks that he's won. While he tries to make his case with Mark Curtis, Lex Luger sneaks up from behind, and he gets a sneaky torture rack yeah. for the submission victory. He got a, That's the only time you'll ever get a <laughs> sneaky torture rack. It's stupid for a variety of reasons. One, right. there's no reason that Valentine should think that he's won, or like be that insistent about it. Right. It makes not really a ton of sense. Uh, but secondly, like, Lex is coming with taped up ribs. He spent the whole match mm-hmm. selling his back and his ribs. The announcers have told you at several points that there's no way he can put on the torture rack. Right. And then he wins via torture rack. And the fact that he, like, has kind of a pained expression on his face mm-hmm. is supposed to, like, sell you on why this still makes sense. <laughs> right. But it doesn't. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> The other the other thing I noted from the match is uh, at one point Larry is complaining that Sting has been gone for a while. Yeah. And he's like the lack of leadership on Sting's part. And just the, the line that I thought was pretty funny, he goes, didn't he like his race car? Because <laughs> they, they put his face yeah. on the WCU car. Just like, didn't he like it? <laughs> right. He's so earnest about it, it really <laughs> killed me. But yeah, I thought that match was stupid. Uh, Lex should not be selling for... Just like uh, that match that Savage had against Valentine. Nobody should be selling for Greg Valentine that much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you mentioned before the fact that the reason one of the reasons why Greg Valentine's last so long... Is it because he has the low-risk offense? Yeah. And all that match was only stomps, yes. knees, forearm smashes. And when he, there's a guy like that that only does those moves, yeah. don't make him dominate the match. Yes. It was a... I almost feel like they're like, well, let's bring out some NWO guys just to distract him from this match. Greg Valentine is the epitome of the, like, you don't, like, to work. Like, you're working too hard, brother. Like, the right. guy who's just... If you're doing like a 
If you're coming off the ropes, you're working too hard. Right. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> like, your your finisher should be, like, a vertical suplex. Right. <laughs> you know? <laughs> we do one bump a match, and then we all go home. Right. <laughs> Everyone gets, collects their paycheck, and we go home. Punches out. Larry walks us through the replays, then tosses us over to Tony Schiavone, who is standing by in the aisle with Nick Patrick. All right, Larry, thanks a lot, Nick. I said many times I think you should know this because you were in the ring. If you're not 100%, and you obviously weren't, maybe you ought to think twice about getting in the ring. Be that as it may, you talked about for the last couple of weeks a fine you wanted to levy to the Macho Man Randy Savage. And I got some information for you. There will be a fine levy to the Macho Man Randy Savage, but unfortunately, it's not going to be a million dollars. We understand by the WCW Board of Directors it will be $500. And also, no, I'm not. And also, he's going to miss the first five matches of 1997. Oh, this is a joke, right? No, it's the announcement I wanted, I needed to make to you. How do they ever expect to gain the respect from these people if they're going to walk around like a bunch of spineless jellyfish? You're not going to back me up on this one, huh? Well, you've got a war with the NWO. You're about to have a war with my legal staff. Nobody's going to put their hands on me like that and get away with it, Tony Schiavone. I'm here to tell you right now, they are not going to hear the end of this. Well, I can understand your passion, but also, uh, you know, you have a very distinctive voice. Let's take you back to NWO Saturday night, if we will. Take a look, Nick, at the referee in the ring. Now, I said at that time, and I firmly believe it, he's a mass referee. Spell the myth. That they are merely thugs. That looked like you. Bags. It was your mannerisms. It sounded like you. Nick Patrick, I think that was you. Take a close look right here, Tony Schiavone. There's no way that could be me. I'm in a lot better shape than that guy right there. I'm in a lot better shape. As a matter of fact, you look closely. That looks a lot more like Randy Anderson to me. Some of the toughest men. That looks just like Randy Anderson. How dare anybody accuse me of being NWO? It, it, it makes me sick. I've come out here and I've worked hurt. I do my job better than anybody else around here. I don't see anybody else coming out here hurt. And you've got all these so-called tough guys coming out here. Let's see some action, guys. I'm tired of the words. I'm tired of the accusations. If you want to stop NWO, then go get NWO. I'm not NWO. Stay off of me. And if WCW is not going to back me, my legal team will, and you will not hear the end of this, I guarantee you. Accusation toward Randy Anderson. More Nitro after this timeout. My goodness. Tony tells Patrick that Macho Man is being fined by the World Championship Wrestling Board of Directors, but rather than the $1 million that Patrick requested, it will be for a paltry $500. Ouch. <laughs> I wish I had figured out what percentage that is, but it is minuscule. <laughs> it, it's like, it's such a small amount, you, you can tell they're just trying to insult Nick Patrick. Yes, exactly. Like, <laughs> they would have rather find him nothing, but it was more insulting to make it $500. <laughs> Patrick is upset and asks if Tony is kidding. Tony is not kidding, but says that Savage will also be suspended for the first five matches of 1997. I don't know what that means. Like, yeah. does that include house shows? Is that pay-per-views? Is that television shows? I don't know what the first five matches means. For one thing, that is like almost three months away, so I there's right. a good chance they won't even remember that. Right. Yes, <laughs> I will be fascinated to see if that actually happens. Right. Why couldn't it be after the pay-per-view? Why does it have to be all the way until 1997? 
Or why couldn't they just uh, suspend him until the pay-per-view? Yeah. Yes, that's crazy. <laughs> Patrick asks how the committee can expect to get any respect from the fans when they act like spineless jellyfish. He says that in addition to the war with the NWO, WCW is going to have another war with his legal team. (laughs) We then see clips from the aforementioned NWO segment that aired on Saturday night, in which a match was refed by a curious character in an NWO shirt and a ski mask. Tony says that it looked like Patrick, sounded like Patrick, and that the mess and that the master and the master ref has had his mannerisms. Patrick gaslights Tony by saying that no way could that be him. He's in much better shape than the ref in the video, who was shown <laughs> at that point punching one of the jobbers that the outsiders had brought in to beat. <laughs> yeah. The ref just punches him. Yeah. It's great. Uh, Tony claims that it looks... Patrick claims that it looks just like Randy Anderson, not him, <laughs> and that these accusations make him sick. <laughs> I like that he picked the possibly shortest referee. Yeah. <laughs> No, no referees really look like him because uh, Mark Curtis is very skinny. Mm-hmm. Patrick is like a tiny little guy. Uh, Jason Jett is gone. That's why they hired Mike or Mark Curtis in the first place. Yeah. So yeah, there's there's no one else it could be other than Nick Patrick. Yeah. It's ridiculous. I'm pretty sure Nick Patrick like towers over all the other ones, <laughs> and the fact that, that referee looked like he was as tall as Scott Hall, right? I could give away. Tony is surprised by the accusation towards Randy Anderson, and we go to a commercial. When we come back, Mean Mike Penis's music is playing, and he comes to the ring as the countdown to Hour 2 begins and concludes, and Mike Tanay welcomes us to the second half of Nitro. Tanay starts to say that he doesn't know where Bischoff is, but then gets word from the back that Eric is going to try to get word from the Macho Man. I don't know why they couldn't tell Tanay during the commercial break. Or during the countdown? Or why didn't Bishop tell him before he went out there? It's completely baffling. (laughs) There's no explanation. Like, that's just poor production. Mm -hmm. In kayfabe, they are a bad television production team. (laughs) (laughs) Macho's music music and pyro plays, and after a long pause, he finally comes out. Eric stops him in the aisle. Macho man, Randy. If we could... We can have your attention for just a second, Randy. Randy, there's something. Oh, yeah! He's ready. Randy, I know you've got a lot on your mind, but there's something I want to talk to you about. You with me? Brother, I'm with you, but I'm going to go to that square circle right now and kick that guy's. I can't say it. No, please, please, please. Let me tell you one thing. I heard the NWO's in the building. And if that's the truth, Hollywood Hulk Hogan's in the building, too. I see we do Halloween Havoc here tonight. Get your ass out here, and I'm going to kick it. No, Randy, Randy, please, please, Randy. I know you're ready for Halloween Havoc. I know you want the mess, but before we do that, for the last couple of weeks, Elizabeth, your ex-wife, has been trying to talk to you. Don't go there. Please, brother. just listen. Just Don't listen to me, go Randy. Just there. listen to me. I've got nothing to. Ga- I've got nothing to gain here. Okay? She's been trying to get to you through your friends, through your family, Don't through the WCW there. offices. Randy, do me a favor. You're before you go to the ring, take a look at this, Randy. She's your ex-wife. Lord, at least you owe her this much, man. You owe her this much. You're making just take me a look. laugh, man. Just take a look. 
Unbelievable. Just listen. Maybe. I know that this is awkward for both of us, but I've done everything I can to try to get your attention and to try to explain to you how I feel, and you won't listen. So this is the only thing I could think of to do. I know that saying I'm sorry will never be enough. The things that I thought that I was doing out of anger just proved that I was really a coward. And I don't know if I was desperate to hurt you or just to get your attention. But all I know is, is that I'm sitting here in this place where we used to share everything in this swing that you built for me. And I'm alone again. And if there was something I could do to change that, I would. I am truly sorry. And I wish that you could find some way to forgive me for the things that I've done and said to hurt you. And I'm the one who has to live with all the things that I've done and the bad choices that I've made. And one of the worst choices I've made is signing with Hulk, knowing how self-serving he is and that he's using me to hurt you. I'm really lost and I need you and I, I don't think I can reach you. I feel the same way about you today as I did the day I said I do. Randy, I know, Randy, this is an emotional thing to have to see, but I didn't know any other way to do this. And Randy, I just, I just want to get, you've got to respond to her. Randy, you've got to respond. Your thoughts, Randy. Eric tries to ask something, but Macho Man gets an oh yeah out first. Randy is fired up and wants Hogan tonight. Eric desperately tries to stop him long enough to ask about the situation between Randy and Liz. Eric points to a TV that is set up in the aisle where a pre-taped Liz promo airs. <laughs> I, li I like it because it kind of reminded me of a, like a cartoon because it just magically was just next to him. Yeah, there was just a TV there where there's never been a TV before. That's <laughs> right. never once happened. <laughs> right. But it's here tonight so that we can see Liz sitting on a rope swing, hanging in front of a tree in front of a lake or river or some body of water. And, it, and they got like the, the old like, glamour like yes uh, shine to it too it is completely bizarre it looks like a dating video from the 80s or something where it's like i enjoy walks on the beach you know right. just like between like awkward uh, slow fade transitions it's and, yeah and it looks like it's on the set of young and the restless <laughs> yes liz says that the situation is awkward for both of them but she's trying to explain her feelings to randy and talk to him but he won't listen 
So this insane video stunt was the only thing she could think of to do. <laughs> she's, she's not one for the thoughts, is she? <laughs> Liz then chokes up as she says that apologies will never be enough and that her, uh, she doesn't use this, this phrase, but her heel run from the last nine months mm-hmm. were actions that were done from anger that has only served to prove that she's a coward. <laughs> I would have liked if she's like, my heel run. <laughs> <laughs> At this point, Miss Goddamn Elizabeth conjures an actual tear from her eye mm-hmm. as she says that she may have just been desperate to get Randy's attention. And I am in complete shock. This woman, who is like the staple of her character, is that she cannot act to save her life. Right. Is literally really crying in this video. Mm-hmm. Liz says that Randy built this swing for her, and they used to share everything. But now she's just alone again. She wishes she could change it, and she's truly sorry. Liz then makes herself the victim, saying that she's the one who's going to have to live with all the things she's done and the choices she's made. Which is, that's just how life works. I was about to say, it's like, no, it makes sense. Yeah, she's yeah. like, I'm the victim. I have to deal with the consequences of my own actions. <laughs> Liz apologizes, especially for signing that movie deal with Hulk, because she knows that Hogan did it just to hurt Randy. That's kind of an interesting thing, because we saw her in the hotel talking like, paperwork with Hulk, but we never got confirmation that she definitely signed some kind of movie contract. Mm-hmm. But the way it's portrayed here is that, yes, she signed a deal yeah. with Hogan to appear in Hollywood movies. Liz claims that she has the same feelings today for Randy as she did on their wedding day, and the video fades. We can't see Macho's eyes after this video because his hat is over lower than them. Mm-hmm. But he has, like, the most amazing expression on his face of just, like, anger and shock and just, like, intensity. I don't know how else to describe it. Like, he is just nailing the facial expression. Eric asks for a response, and Randy only stands there forlorn. Eric continues to implore him to answer, but Macho just looks sad and intense, and finally he starts to walk to the back, shoving Eric off and... Shoving... And finally heads to the back, shoving Eric off before changing his mind and heading to the ring and the waiting Mike Enos, who's just presumably standing in the ring watching this whole thing. But then he changes his mind again and heads to the back. We follow Randy through the curtains and to a white limo that is waiting in the loading area. Macho gets into the car and the limo flees. Uh, So that was like an intense segment. Dave, I'm curious before I get into it, uh, what were your thoughts on what we just saw? Oh, you also missed the part when, um, after the limo rep goes off, Eric Bischoff, just as he gets off camera, you can hear him say shit. Oh, I missed that. I did entirely miss that. <laughs> um, I'll make sure that's included in the audio clip. That okay. So everyone else will have just heard that. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't like the idea yeah. that they went with. I think it's, um, it's, it's a low class way to, to get a few going. Sure. Um. But the execution was as top notch as you would. I I would never have expected it yeah. to have been played off that well. For one thing, like you said, you know, I, I like during that video, it like quadrupled the amount of words I've ever heard Elizabeth say. <laughs> yes, and she pulled. I mean, it was like as great of a, a performance you would want from a video. Yes, I mean, it seemed as legitimate as you want to the point where I was. I'm I'm sure like talking like that probably just 
brings up like real emotions for her. Sure, yeah. That's kind of what I imagine why she started crying. And then, yeah, then Savage just like is crestfallen. This expression yeah. on his face just nails it. And the fact that he like kind of has like this outrageous outfit on, yeah, it, it kind of like emphasizes the fact that he's being caught off guard. And the fact that before he watched the video, he's grabbing the microphone to yell, oh yeah. Mm-hmm. He can like barely settle down to listen to anything Bischoff has to say. Yeah. He's he's Randy Savage, like as normal. He's just off the wall crazy. Mm-hmm. And then he has to sit there and watch this and it just like saps that craziness from him and he reacts like a human being does. Yeah. Where he's like, he can't even go have this match where he could easily beat Mike Enos. You know, right? But he can't. He can't even right now. Mm-hmm. He can't even, Dave. And and then once Savage started leaving, then there was a lot of stuff that that made gave it the sense of like realism. Yeah, like Eric Bischoff just like handing off the microphone and and then like trying to console him and and cursing him on the on the air too. Yeah. Um. So I, I again I don't like that they did this, but. It was like some some of the best execution, like for dramatics, yeah, that I've seen on Nitro so far. I think that's a great way to say it. If you describe the plan for this segment to me on paper, I'd be like, "Well, fuck that!" Like, yeah, this build has already been so bad, mm-hmm. where Savage just gets laid out over and over and over again. I don't quite get where this weak diversion, where he's not even involved with Hulk, he's just like this whole stuff with Liz. I wouldn't quite get it. But having watched it, I thought this was just excellent. It was so good. It was yeah. compelling television. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I sent you uh, some messages uh, when I was watching this on Friday to see if you'd watched this already. And I was curious about what your reaction was. And then I decided we should save it for the show and not talk about it ahead of time. Yeah. Because, like, I was, I was just wondering, am I crazy? I was like, I can't believe that this insane segment where Liz has pre-produced a video that randy has to watch mm-hmm. is like my is just one of my favorite nitro moments of the last like several months of shows that we've watched yeah she's so good and i rag on her constantly for how bad she is mm-hmm. i don't know if it's something where in front of a live crowd she just gets too nervous but here with just like a cameraman and a lighting guy or whatever like i don't know what it was but she was so good I feel like for both of them that it's it's messing with real emotions that they have. That's I, true, I feel, and the, I feel like that there between those two there yeah. was always unfinished business, and 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 kind of tam- tampering with that relationship brought like real reactions from them. And I I agree with you, but I do think it's worth noting that like everyone that's worked with them during that period that gets questions on this to this day, like Shivani and Bischoff who have podcasts, say that they were like completely professional. Mm-hmm. That, like, they never had problems working together during this period. They were divorced, but it, like, wasn't weird. It was, everyone is okay with it. Yeah. So, like, it's amazing that if these real emotions were there, this, like, undercurrent, that they were able to work together with no problems, but when you mm-hmm. wanted to tap into those emotions for something really raw like this, yeah. that they could just tap into it and then turn it off and get along just fine as coworkers, like, mm-hmm. you know, ten minutes later. That's amazing. Yeah, and it's, you know... And the, the execution of it was just so well done yeah. with, the, with the video fading out and they look towards Randy and it's like, it was like the perfect angle towards his yeah. face where you couldn't see his eyes initially. Yes. And then you realize like, 
holy shit, this basically broke the man. Yeah, you and I, uh, obviously, you know, we're not household names for our acting prowess, but that's something we've studied. Mm -hmm. You and I are are actors, or were actors at the very least. Like, 90% of what you're doing in acting is with your eyes. Yeah. And he, you cannot see the man's eyes, but you are 100% in his emotional journey with him Mm -hmm. through every other part of his face, his body language, like, it was just incredible. I was blown away at how much I liked this. I I was like, I just couldn't believe that this was the segment that was happening, and I was enraptured by, uh, not my TV, I was watching my computer, but you get yeah. what I'm saying. Like, yeah. I was just captivated. It was amazing. Yeah, and then, and I think to top it off, that they, that once they let the savage, like, actions play out, yeah. everyone knew to shut the fuck up. And, like, yes, go, yes. Because... Very easily, like, if I heard Tanae, like, say anything during that time, then it would have been like, oh, it just would have broken the whole, the, the, the feeling of the, mo- of the moment. But, yeah, like, like, like I said, I really, I don't like that they did this, but it's so well done. Yeah. It's hard to hate it. Yes. You know? Um, it's the least unlikable Macho Man segment that has happened in forever. Because normally he's just getting his ass beat by the NWO. Yeah. And then, like, insulted and, like, poured beer on and spray painted and, or you know. Hit with a Slim Jim. Yeah, yes. Doing the, 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 the outline spray on the in the ring, spraying, like, his bald spot. At least he was not physically hum- humiliated in this yeah. way. Like, maybe emotionally it was a tough spot for him, but, like, he was in no way... He, he came out of this, you felt bad for him, but you did not feel like he was humiliated by this segment. No. And that was a new thing, unfortunately, for and, the last several months of Macho Man booking. And, and, and also for the fact that we've had many months where it's like we felt that Macho Man has been like on cruise control. Yes. And just being like very stereotypical Macho yeah. Man. Which, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, but this was just like it brought him back to being like a human character. Yeah. And, and I was like, I don't remember the last time that like they had Savage do anything besides like be – a lunatic on TV. Yeah. And you're like, Oh, that's right. There's more to him than that. Um, yeah. So yeah, it was the execution of it was just brilliant. So now the last thing I want to say about this, uh, is a big spoiler. So if anyone is listening and kind of tries to keep more in the time period we're listening to, maybe hit that 30 second, uh, skip ahead button, maybe once or twice. Mm Hmm. But if you consider when you watch this the fact that it turns out that like uh, Liz and Eric are in collusion with the NWO, you know, like what a fucked up thing they're doing <laughs> to Randy Savage at this point. Oh, you're talking about like since Bishop ends up working with the NWO. Yeah, well, he's he's the secret leader of the NWO. Yeah, we don't know that yet, but we find that out later. Yeah, and I. That's I thought about that like being like this deep seated like hint at it yeah because this is I mean because when they get back from commercial like Bobby Heenan's like mad at Bischoff for doing this yeah thing. and this is this was like to me it felt like Eric Bischoff just sabotaged yeah Macho Man yeah and like so at this point we don't know that as an audience but when you find that out later if you happen to think back to the segment mm-hmm. you're like what a diabolical fucking thing to do right he's had he's getting two weeks he has a championship match mm-hmm. and Bischoff is just just forcing him to watch this video of his ex-wife saying that she feels the same way she did on their wedding day 
Right. Jesus Christ, that's fucked up, man. Right. That's so so evil. <laughs> that's awesome. It's it retro I don't know if they were thinking that at the time even, but like retroactively, that's great storytelling. Accidental yeah. or not. Um my my one complaint would be is I feel like that this should have been done the last nitro before the pay-per-view. Sure. I don't know how because I feel like they're probably gonna find a way to fuck it up on next Oh god, yeah. Losing all momentum or something yeah. like that. So I'm very curious to see what the go home angle will be for the show because right. it's been pretty shitty so far. Right. Except for this moment. Yeah. All right. Well, that is enough said about that segment. When we come back from commercial, we go to the announce desk where Eric expresses surprise at the Macho Man leaving the arena. Bobby Heenan castigates Bischoff for knowing how much is weighing on Randy's mind already heading into his title match at Slim Jim's Halloween Havoc and yet bringing this uh, video of Liz to Savage. It's 100% a legitimate thing to say. Yeah, I actually like that they addressed that issue on the show. Yeah, like, Bobby Heenan being a WCW guy should yeah. be, like, outraged at him. Like, you just, you just like, set a bomb off at our last hope of getting the, the WCW championship back. Why? Why on earth did you do this? Yeah. Eric uh, pretty weakly defends himself, but Tanae is also on Heenan's side. Tanae's like, I gotta say, I'm with Bobby. I don't know what you were thinking. <laughs> right. Uh, so Eric apologizes to the fans and Mike Enos, <laughs> who came out with a match against the number one contender and instead just was never... Like, he walked to the ring and we never saw him waiting in the ring. We never saw his reactions to anything. He was completely forgotten about during that angle. By the way, the, the tension and of all the drama yeah. of that ang- angle, to me, the moment it ended is when he reminded us Mike Hinos. <laughs> yeah. At that point, I was like, all right, all right. Yeah, back to, back to Nitro. Well, we then head to our next match, Eddie Guerrero versus The Cheetah Kid. Eddie comes down to the ring where the Cheetah Kid, some guy in cheetah print tights and a mask, is waiting. And uh, did you happen to look up who the Cheetah Kid is? Yeah. Oh, okay. I was going to ask if you had any guesses. Oh. Because it's kind of confusing. Uh, You've, like, blown my whole bit. I was going to surprise you here. (laughs) Because I think it's it's crazy to tell people that the Cheetah Kid is Prince Iakea, but not the Prince Iakea that they're thinking of. Oh, wait. It's a different one? Yes, so did you look it up and find out it was Prince Iakea? Yeah. Okay, so what if I were to tell you that there's two Prince Iakeas? There is the Prince Iakea that you're thinking of, who had WCW fame, and then there is Prince Iakea, who is the actual son of King Curtis Iakea. What? You remember when, uh, so (laughs) Prince Iakea, this is so confusing to talk about. So from now on, I will refer to the Cheetah Kid. Uh, a.k.a. the real son of King Curtis, as Rocky Iakea, because that's his real name. I feel like we're messing with two timelines now. So you've got Prince Iakea, the famous one, Mm -hmm. and then you've got Rocky Iakea. Mm -hmm. Prince Iakea uh, was just some jobber who came on Nitro one other time to lose to Kevin Sullivan, and as like kind of a tribute to his hero, King Curtis Iakea, Kevin Sullivan... In that role as a jobber, he gave him the name Prince Iakea. Yeah. Because uh, Prince Iakea is, um, I don't know if he's Samoan, but he's like Pacific Islander. So he's of a similar heritage. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. But there already is a guy who is King Curtis's real son who is doing gigs, uh, he, who is billed occasionally as Prince Iakea. 
He's just never been in WCW. He mostly wrestles in Japan. God damn it, Kevin Sullivan. <laughs> right. So now there's two Prince Ikeas in the world. Only right. one is on the show as a jobber one time six months ago. And we won't see him again for another like six months to a year. I don't know when he re-debuts. Uh, and then we've got the real one who, on this is his first appearance as the Cheetah Kid. I don't know if that's because they were like, well shit, we already called a guy Prince Ikea. We can't call you that. So I don't know, like, he's never been the Cheetah Kid before. Uh, the Cheetah Kid was actually a gimmick that uh, Rocco Rock had before he was in Public Enemy. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I don't know if that was coincidence or if they, if he, like, just threw out, like, hey, why don't you use my old gimmick? Who gives a shit? Or, like, or who knows? Or it could be something where there are, like, kind of these traditional names and masks in Japan right. Mexico where they just kind of, like, throw that on someone. Yeah, because I looked it up because I was... I was mistaking Cheetah Kid for the Cheetah Master. Oh, okay. Who was like a, a mid-90s, like kind of known, like indie name. Oh, I didn't. I've never heard of the Cheetah Master. Um, and I was like, whoa, did he actually like come up and wrestle Eddie Guerrero? Then yeah. I looked it up. I was like, oh, it's Prince Ikea. No further research needed. But apparently I was wrong. I also saw that it was Prince Ikea. And I was, um, I had written like a whole other paragraph of this introduction. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then I looked at Cage Match um to see some just i was like did he have any other matches at the cheetah kid Mm -hmm. and the last wcw match for the cheetah kid was against prince iakea and i was like what the fuck and i got so confused and then finally i clicked enough things to learn that there were two guys who went as prince iakea see and i was i was about to say (laughs) that like we should never have these two guys in the same room yeah as a Cause a rip in the space time continuum. Well, that's probably why we have the Berenstein Bears instead of the Berenstain Bears. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because they wrestled each other. Yeah, because those guys eventually wrestled each other. That's why the whole Mandela effect uh, exists. Is that is that gonna be on Nitro? Are we looking forward to that? <sighs> I don't recall. Okay, we'll we'll find out. All right. Anyway, uh, this guy Rocky Ikea, the real son of Prince Ikea, uh, the Cheetah Kid. He debuted in the early 1980s in Japan, where King Curtis was also a star. King Curtis was mainly... He had some uh, success in the U.S., mainly in Hawaii, although he was big in other territories, too. But he ran the Hawaii territory. Uh, But he was also in Japan, and his son went there to find fame as well. In the U.S., he mainly made a name for himself in the Pacific Northwest as Abuda Dien. And I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correct. But it was uh, an Arab heel gimmick. Similar to, like, the Iron Sheik. Okay. Uh, so that's, even though he's Pacific Islander, he he kind of did this heel Arab gimmick for a while. He won some titles in the Pacific Northwest Wrestling and did many tours of Japan, but never broke out in the United States with a major promotion. As near as I can tell, this is his first match as the Cheetah Kid gimmick. Uh, and I mentioned already the Rocco Rock stuff. So that's about it. That's uh, He has a few jobber matches at the Cheetah Kid. I don't think he really catches on in WCW, but... Uh, we might see him again on Nitro. And yeah, and unfortunately this guy who is the actual Prince Ikea, the actual son of King Curtis Ikea, does not become the famous Prince Ikea. Instead, (laughs) some other guy of no relation (laughs) becomes famous with that name. Just crazy. And you try to think of like, how did this situation happen? I feel like it's because Kevin Sullivan just (laughs) gave him some other person's name because he didn't care. I, I mean, yeah, he just, he loved King Curtis, that's why he was the uh, the master of the Dungeon of Doom, because he just wanted to give King Curtis some more paychecks. Yeah. 
So, you know, it was done out of respect, but it, 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 uh, what's the word? Inadvertently caused this, like, confusion. It was out of respect for everyone except one guy. (laughs) Yes. Uh, before the match, Eddie gets an inset promo in which he tells Diamond Dallas Page that Page is a one-move wrestler and that Eddie knows he can beat him, just like he already did at Clash of the Champions. Eddie says that Page can break an arm or a leg, but he can never break Eddie's heart or his spirit, and he will go to Slim Jim's Halloween Havoc to kick Page's butt. Nice. Yeah. Woo! To start the match, Eddie and Kid trade reversals until Eddie hits a Kurkarana and a couple of drop kicks, but Cheetah Kid gets a headlock takeover. Cheetah Kid stays in control with an elbow and a big power bomb. He tries another, but Eddie reverses it as me and the announcers can't figure out why Eddie is eating so much offense. <laughs> They're basically like, "Wow, I didn't think he'd get his butt kicked so bad in this match," but and you're like, "Yeah, yeah, I agree. That's weird." I don't know if, if Eddie just likes. Uh, Iakea, and he thinks that he deserves to have a little showcase here. Well, Eddie's the kind of guy where that wouldn't surprise me, necessarily. Eddie also, his style is that he, he's going to get beaten up. That's true. You know, Especially like, as a baby face, yeah, for sure. Right. And and just kind of like general, he doesn't he doesn't squash people. Eddie dives at the Cheetah Kid, but Kid pulls the top rope down and Eddie spills to the outside. He tries to get back into the ring, but on the apron, he is met by a top rope dropkick by the Cheetah Kid. Meanwhile, Eric apologizes. <laughs> Sorry, my note is making me laugh. Eric is still apologizing for what he did to the Macho Man, oh. including at this point apologizing to Mr. and Mrs. Poffo. I remember that. Yeah. The parents of the Macho Man. That he's, like, he's going all out with the shoot names and all this bullshit. He's laid like, it on a little yeah. thick here. Yeah, it's a, a little too strong. I agree. Cheetah goes to the top rope, but Eddie crotches him. Guerrero heads the top rope and hits a big Huracarana, followed by the Frog Splash for the quick win. Yeah, so, this match was like two minutes. Yeah, Eddie like basically sells and sells and sells, hits two big moves, wins, that's it. It was fine. I had no problems with it, but it was definitely a very quick TV match. Yeah, and I mean, they like the idea was that it was a fill-in match too, so yeah. it kind of like played out the way you'd expect after a commercial break, we come back, but before we go to the action, we go to Lee Marshall, who is on the road in the upcoming WCW destination of uh, our, or I guess my hometown area, you're from a little further south in Minnesota, the Minneapolis, Minnesota area. Oh. Uh, WCW will be coming here for a house show this Friday, October 18th. Eric asks Lee about the weather because Eric uh, spent many years in Minnesota mm-hmm. and he wants to just kind of, you know, show his, his hometown pride. And Lee says that it's 45 and lovely, which is pretty damn good for mid-October. Yeah. <laughs> uh, of course, this October was a little hotter than that, but that is because our world is literally baking to a crisp. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of interesting because the Target Center, where they're having a house show this Friday, mm-hmm. holds 18,000 give or take. Uh, So that's a pretty big arena for a house show. But confusingly, Nitro next week will be in Mankato, Minnesota, which is a small town in southern Minnesota. Uh, It's about an hour and a half from the Twin Cities metro area. Mm -hmm. And it has 10% of Minneapolis's residents, let alone all of the suburbs and St. Paul's population. Yeah. So it's very strange to me that a house show is at the Target Center and Nitro is in Mankato. I think it's just that they're not used to being popular, 
and they don't have buildings booked that reflect how well they could sell. Yeah. So, like, for a house show, who cares if the upper half of the arena is empty because it's a house show. But for a television show, they want a sold-out place. Mm-hmm. So that's why they're going to these smaller places. Yeah, I did, and I also thought it was weird that they there was a couple other references to having this show in Minneapolis. Um, and they just keep hyping the house show. And then just off, like, at the end, he's like, oh, and also we're going to be there for Nitro. Yeah. Oh, wait, what? <laughs> I wonder if Nitro... I wonder if Nitro, because it's in such a smaller arena, was already sold out by that point, so he didn't have to hype it. Whereas oh, the house crazy. show, yeah. I'm sure that house show had thousands of empty seats, so they probably felt like they could pack yeah. a few more in, you know? Uh, a fun fact is that I went to the house show. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember anything about it specifically? Because um, I knew there was one coming up that had uh, JL and Jericho wrestling each other. Yeah. Um, and that is the first match in that, and then... There's uh, some sort of like shenanigans that result in Jericho facing six right afterwards. Okay. Um, because I, this is the thing where it's like I don't have the greatest memory of things that happened like 20 some years ago, but my brother does. Yeah. So I sent him this house show. I was like, was this the show we went to? Yeah. And he was like, yeah, because Harlem Heat faced the Outsiders and they they beat they like they, they beat down Steve Ray before the match. And so Booker T was basically trying to handle him two on one, ah. and that my dad, because my dad also went, he thought that that was pretty awesome. <laughs> nice. Uh, so I was like, I was like, this. I feel like there's this. So there's this episode of Nitro in which they're really hyping up this house show I went to. Yeah, that's crazy. But not the not the Nitro because that would have been too far away. Anyway. Right. Yeah, Mankato is a pretty for a school night. <laughs> for, for for school night. Um. That's that's pretty crazy. That's funny. Um. I gonna say shit. Minnesota Nitro House Show, Harlem Heat, and Kato. I don't know. I don't got it. <laughs> I know. I know. Next year at, there's gonna be a um, there's a Nitro that I went to that we'll be doing. So that'll, yeah, that'll be. It just adds a little bit more like extra fun for myself. Absolutely. <laughs> Big Bubba comes out for his match with Jeff Jarrett. Bubba has Jimmy Hart with him, and I wonder a little bit why Jimmy Hart wasn't with Hugh Morris, because, uh, uh, you know, he's his I've, manager as well. You know, I felt like they mentioned that at one point. When Morris came out, yeah. Shivani wondered why uh, Hart wasn't there. I have a theory. We'll get to it in a little bit. Okay. Uh, but Jeff Jarrett is out next to a big pop, as this is, uh, if not his hometown where he was born, it's certainly where he made his career. Uh, in the yeah. Memphis area, working I, for his this, dad's promotion. And this is like the arena that he's known in, too. Yeah. And I actually kind of wonder, why not hold his debut another week? You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. last week, there was a little bit of a mixed reaction, and then when he rejected the NWO, he got a better reaction. Maybe that's why. Maybe they figured that here no one would buy that he was maybe a heel. You know, they were going to oh, cheer sure. him regardless. But it just seemed like you have Jeff Jarrett in one week, you're going to be in the area he's most famous. But Why not bring him out then? I also feel like Eric Bischoff's mode is once you get a guy, to get him on TV as soon as possible. That's probably true. Uh, well, anyway, here to call all the action is our own Dave Amantor. Well, right before uh, we start off the match, um, Eric Bischoff makes a... Right before we start off the match, Eric Bischoff makes a mention that, uh, from what he understands, Jeff Jarrett... Can't sing a lick. 
which is a reference to the Make With My Baby Tonight song. So. Yeah, he mentions it here, and then he says it, like, five other places. He right. really thinks it's funny to point this out. Yeah, I was like, oh, very clever, Eric. Um, and we get a double J chant right away, too. So the uh, the Memphis crowd's making their presence known when it comes to Jeff Jarrett. <laughs> Big Bubba tries to intimidate Jarrett by running out the ropes real fast. But Jeff counters with his strut, which the Memphis crowd goes apeshit for. A collar and elbow tie-up turns into a headlock for Big Bubba, who seems really hyped up tonight. He's, like, stomping around and, like, screaming and everything. He's just, he's all wired up. Yeah. <laughs> Off the ropes, and Bubba drops Double J with a shoulder block. Another collar and elbow tie-up, and Big Bubba converts it into a body slam, then slaps on a wrist lock. We're off the ropes again, and Jarrett ducks uh, two clotheslines, puts on the brakes, and eye pokes Big Bubba. <laughs> Classic. Eric Bischoff talks about uh, he's Bischoff at this point is talking about Hogan and his announcement, yeah, or his time that he wants to talk, and he talks about uh, Hogan's claim of making the WWF, which he should be imprisoned for, and for making the AWA, which is questionable at best. <laughs> Well, it's definitely. Uh, I'm not going to get into the whole history, but he didn't like. He was in the AWA, but he didn't make it. Like, yeah, he was basically he was technically in the AWA. He was not remotely. The second he started being a big name is when he fucked off to New York. Like, <laughs> right. Uh, the AWA was made by like the Crusher, Nick Bockwinkle, and Vern Gagne, and <laughs> like that's like not questionable. Decades before he was wrestling. Yeah, he so. definitely made the WWF. Yeah, no question about it. Right. But. So I, I like that he, he's trying to, like, be the face towards Hogan, but also yeah. giving him a little bit of, actually a lot of bit of credit for the <laughs> yeah. NBA. Anyway, uh, Jarrett hits Bubba with some big swinging haymakers, which are sold like a goddamn champion. Off the ropes, and Jimmy grabs Jarrett's foot. Jeff chases him outside the ring, which gives Bubba the opening to hide behind the steel steps and hit a sneak attack back elbow. I was going to also mention that this crowd is great because it's help, helping establish Jeff Jarrett as being a face. They're, they're 100% behind him. Mm -hmm. As smarky as they were being like very pro NWO and chanting for Hogan earlier, yeah. they are like they are completely behind Jarrett. They they love him here in Memphis. Yeah, and I was gonna, going to mention that it was just, it seems like it's very serendipitous that they had a Nitro Memphis like the week after but you already mentioned the fact that, like, why didn't they hold it off? But I don't I, – I still think that they try to debut guys when as soon as they can. Yeah. And that it was like, oh, look at this. We're going to be in his hometown next week. And we're trying to make him work as a face too. So it's kind of – it's just a plan that just, like, unfolded really well for them. Anyway, uh, Bubba flips the steel steps over and he gestures, like – he suggests he's going to drop Jared onto the corner and decapitate him, which seems a little bit over the top. <laughs> this doesn't happen as a referee stands in the way. While Mark Curtis uh, ushers Bubba back into the ring, Jimmy Hart gets his kicks in with old Double J. Jared tries to pull himself back into the ring, but Bubba knocks him back to the floor with a running knee, which gives Hart more chances at him. Jared climbs onto the apron successfully this time and rams Bubba's head into the turnbuckles before heading to the top rope. 
A flying crossbody block. It's only a two count for Jarrett. Bubba recovers quickly and drills Jarrett with a right hand before applying the dreaded reverse chin lock. <laughs> uh, there's a there's this nice moment where uh, Bubba with his free hand starts gouging Jeff Jarrett's eye. Yeah. But he keeps moving around so like Mark Curtis can't see him doing it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's really well done. Bubba's he's so good. He's good. He's like he's really good at being a heel. Yeah. And so naturally, WWF had him as like a face all the time. <laughs> but no, he's well. He had he had a great heel run against Hogan, and then he had oh, that's right. He yeah. had the the classic uh, against Big Show. Oh, where right. he was reading the the card about his dad dying and then yeah. dragging Big Show's dad's casket yes. off. Those God, are, what a great feud! Those are highlights of that. Are coming in the near future. <laughs> um, okay, so we're back on their we're, they're back on their feet, and Jared they're back on their feet, and Jeff hits some well placed elbows to escape the hold. But Bubba is quick to react, hitting a big boot once Jared comes off the ropes. Jared rallies again with punches. He whips Bubba off the ropes, but Bubba hangs on, and as a result. Jeff's subsequent dropkick hits nothing but air. Bubba then follows up by just drilling Double J with a punch. Yeah. Like, you can hear it. However, Jeff Jarrett still kicks out of two. Bubba whips Jarrett into the corner, but Jeff dodges a big splash, which leaves Bubba hanging. Try that again. Bubba whips Jarrett into the corner, but Jeff dodges a big splash, which leaves Big Bubba hanging. Jeff then kicks away at his opponent, much to the delight of the crowd. Jarrett hits an atomic drop and signals for the figure four, but Jimmy Hart gets on the ropes. I like, there's this part where he's signaling for the figure four, but right yeah. before he does it, you can see like half the crowd doing the little spinning finger thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, Jimmy gets on the ropes. Jarrett grabs him by the tie and punches him, and Hart takes a nasty spill to the floor. Yeah. It looks brutal. And I kind of think that the reason they saved Hart from coming out in the Morris matches, he also, uh, I don't know if he started in Memphis, but that's where he made the biggest name for himself, was as a heel manager that feuded with Jerry Lawler. Yeah. And I thought maybe they saved him for this match where he got a little bit of a butt whipping at the hands of Jeff Jarrett. Sure. Just because it made the impact of that a little bit more than if he'd been out earlier. Yeah. Cause, so I mean, that was kind of my theory, why they held yeah, him off. Because usually Hart does not get in like so many like punches and kicks at yeah. guys, too. Yeah. And there was one part after he was hitting him, he went to the camera and said, It's my town, too, baby! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I think, I think the reason they held him out of that Morris match was just to get a bigger impact of him getting foiled here in the yeah. town that kind of made him famous. Yeah. Um, this distraction gives Bubba the opening they needed, and he plants Jeff with a spine buster. Bubba punches away on Jeff, but his Bubba punches away at Jeff, but his backhand knocks the ref over. It's unfortunately it's very very obvious that he like tries to right. accidentally hit him. Uh, Jimmy Hart tosses in the megaphone, which is hilarious because like the megaphone falls apart. Yes, and so. Big Bubba has to like try to put it back together in time, and as soon as he turns around, Jarrett drop kicks a foreign object into Big Bubba's face, incapacitating him long enough for the pinfall victory. 
The megaphone goes like flying at that drop kick too. Yeah. Like that probably landed in the fourth aisle yeah. of the crowd. Yeah, I I I liked it because this is. It seemed like they're trying to give a very Memphis style yeah, match. That's like true. They're they're really doing something to kind of play to the the fans, and uh, it, it's just a lot of those kind of traditional things that I I would like. I mean, when he ducked the two clotheslines and held onto the ropes, and then just went for an eye poke, like that's awesome. <laughs> I always like that. But uh, yeah, I thought I thought these two guys played each off played off each other pretty well. Um, I didn't have any real issues with it. Yeah, I thought it was pretty good. Yeah. After uh, after replays, Tony Shiva after replays, Tony Shivani is in the aisle with Jeff Jarrett, who struts and flexes. All right, Eric. Thanks a lot. As you guys talked about, a young man who really appreciates the tradition of World Championship wrestling really knows his roots. And you could hear it here, the response to your old stomping grounds here in Memphis, Tennessee, in the Mid-South Coliseum. And Jeff, we talked this past Saturday on WCW Saturday night. You know Ric Flair is out, not able to compete. Mike Tanay talked about it earlier. You said, throw my name in the hat. I want to go to Slim Jim's Halloween Havoc. I want to face the giant. Well, ladies and gentlemen, the WCW Championship Committee has heard his cry. Jeff Jarrett will face the giant at Slim Jim Halloween Havoc. Oh, yeah. Remember, he has stolen that U.S. title belt as well. Oh, I feel great tonight, Tony Schiavone, because, oh, for a couple of reasons, I said I was coming into WCW to make an impact. Everybody's talking about it. What Jeff Jarrett did on Nitro last week. What Jeff Jarrett did on Saturday night. Well, Giant, I'm an impact player, and you're going to find that out at Halloween Havoc. I've never said I was the biggest. I've never said I was the strongest or the tallest. But from day one, Giant, I said I was the smartest wrestler alive today. <laughs> oh, yeah. And at Halloween Havoc, when I find a way, and I will find a way to chop you down to size, when I slap that figure four leg like on you, <laughs> you and the rest of the stinking NWO, that's right, you're going to respect Ric Flair. You're going to respect WCW and the wrestling heritage that goes way back. And last but not least, oh, and you too, Hogan, all the NWO is going to respect Jeff Jarrett. <laughs> Jeff Jarrett here in WCW to stay. And ladies and gentlemen, more great action. Don't forget our big tag team main event. And more on WCW Monday Nitro Live after this timeout. Tony says that Jarrett asked to replace Flair against the Giant for the U.S. title at Slim Jim's Hollywood Havoc. Jarrett claims that he feels great because he came in to make an impact, and he has. He calls himself an impact player, which I thought was kind of weird and way <laughs> back in 1996. And tells the Giant that he's the smartest wrestler alive today. He promises to put the figure four on the Giant at the pay-per-view and force the NWO to respect Ric Flair and the rest of the history and heritage of World Championship Wrestling. That'll show him. <laughs> With that, we go to commercial. When we come back, out come the faces of fear, as Eric reminds us that Hogan has demanded to make that statement we've talked about later tonight. Right. Bischoff also says that they're trying to reach Macho's limit. That they're trying to. Bischoff also says that they're trying to reach Macho Man's limo, but haven't been able to yet. The tag team champion Harlem Heat are out next, and holy shit, am I pumped for the Harlem Heat versus the faces of fear? Yes. 
on paper, that's a match that I can get behind. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Heat come out and, of course, have Colonel Robert Parker and Sister Sherry with them. And uh, yeah. um, Also, throughout the show, when mentioning this match, there was some confusion by the announcers because yeah. someone said it was a title match, someone said it's non-title, and then eventually they went with the story that, uh, that Colonel Robert Parker said that they refused to defend the titles yes. until they faced the Outsiders. Yep. So I thought I thought that was a pretty nice cover for the fact that like someone called it a title match when it wasn't a title match. Well, the phases of fear are out. I think they came out before Hellum Heat. My notes for some reason kind of skipped that. No, no, I mentioned that they come out. Never mind. After the heater in the ring, we go to commercial, and when we come back, Randy Anderson calls for the bell, and Booker T and Meng are set to start things off. They lock up, and Meng immediately seizes control with strikes. He dominates Booker in the corner with kicks and a boot to the throat. The crowd reacts to the the crowd reacts to something in the entranceway, and we cut to Chris Benoit and Mongo coming out to, along with Deborah McMichael. Those two horsemen will be facing off with the faces of fear at the pay-per-view, of course, and Mongo yells that they're going to knock the lava lava out of the faces of fear. Hmm. Or at least that's what I heard after listening about three times. <laughs> uh, the WWE Network caption, uh, whoever writes the captions, their transcriptionist or whatever, yeah. claims that he says he's going to knock the lovin' lovin' Saudi. But I feel like that makes less sense than lava lava. Because, <laughs> like, I don't know, Pacific Islands, there's volcanoes there. Right. I, I assume, like, that's all I could come up with. Meng stays in control with a shoulder block. Booker gets a super kick and then a jumping heel kick to finally get into this one. Booker tags in Stevie Ray and they do, and they double team Meng with strikes until Stevie hits a slam. Meng rolls out of the way of an elbow drop and tags in Barbarian. Barbarian delivers some chops to Stevie in a corner before Irish whipping him and hitting a corner splash and then some more chops and elbows. The Barbarian hits another Irish whip and charges, but this time Stevie gets a boot up. Stevie gets a jumping big boot, and Barbarian heads to the outside where Meng has some hugs and reassurances. Back in the ring, Stevie stays in control with strikes and a choke until Randy Anderson breaks it up. In comes Booker with a flying forearm for a two count. Booker hits a back heel kick for a one count. A quick take to Stevie Ray, who comes in with a quick to the, with a kick to the gut and a clothesline for two. Another quick tag brings Booker back in for some strikes and a side slam. Booker goes for the Booker goes up for the Harlem hangover, but Meng crotches him on the top turnbuckle. Barbarian comes to the corner for a top rope belly-to-belly suplex that is almost a disaster, yeah. as Barbarian loses his footing in a key moment, mm-hmm. but Booker just saves it by launching himself over for a very nice clean flip bump. Right. Booker saves his own skin yes. in that one yeah. completely. Yeah. In comes Meng, who dances a little taunt at Sherry, who is shrieking at ringside. Meng hits a sick sit-out powerbomb for two, the pin interrupted by Stevie Ray. Barbarian comes in with uh, no tag. Randy, Randy Anderson asks if the faces of here are tagged in, and they say yes, so he's going to allow this. <laughs> the funny thing is, there's no reason for them to cheat. Like, right. uh, Harlem Heat was like pretty well disposed. They could have tagged, they just chose not to, and then they lied about it. <laughs> right. Barbarian gets a backbreaker on Booker for a two-count, and Stevie breaks up the pin again. A scoop slam by Barbarian. Barbarian hits a scoop slam, and a double headbutt from both the faces of fear follows. Meng waits forever before the pin, and gets less than a one-count. Booker then cradles Meng for two. 
At this point, the crowd goes nuts, as clearly something is happening off camera. Booker performs a sunset flip. Booker gets a sunset flip on Meng for two, but Barbarian breaks it up and all four men start brawling. We cut to the crowd where Nash and Hall make their way to the guardrail, holding Kansas spray paint. All four men in the match leave the ring and the bell rings. Either a double countout or a no contest, it's not clear. They just, they give up on the match, the bell rings, this one's done, we're moving on to the angle. Yeah. They approach the outsiders who retreat into the crowd. As we go to break, Eric says that WCW needs someone to lead them as a cohesive unit, and he begs Sting, wherever he is, to be that leader. Uh, before, I guess we, before we move on to the last, uh, angle of the show, probably because they knew that match was getting interrupted and had no finish, I felt like those, they didn't, the teams didn't put a lot of work into it. No. Like I was saying before the match, those are two teams on paper that I would love to see mm-hmm. face each other, but that was, that was not a lot, that was a lot of nothing. Yeah. Nothing special about it. It wasn't terrible, there was nothing to laugh at, but it just was not what I was hoping for. I, I am looking forward to the uh, Faces of Fear versus Mongo and Benoit. Though. Absolutely. That should be like a that a slobber knocker. That's a slobber yes. knocker. When we come back from break, Eric predicts that if Macho Man can get it together and ever wrestle again, what? he's going to beat Hogan. Yeah, he very quickly has assumed that seeing that one video is going to force Macho Man into retirement. <laughs> but if Savage can't get himself out of the emotional funk he's in, we've probably seen the last of him. When you mentioned the Sting thing, is that when he says that he hopes that he'll show up next week? Uh, it might be. I don't have that in my notes, but oh, that could be. Okay. And that would be a pretty big uh, foreshadowing. <laughs> yeah. Hint, hint, wink, wink. Because he definitely says that at some point. Okay, gotcha. Eric talks a bit more, but a roar from the crowd brings a pained expression to his face as he knows that this must mean the NWO is out there somewhere. <laughs> Indeed, the show cuts to Hogan walking to the ring with his title. Hogan is clean-shaven this week, except for his mustache, but he doesn't have, like, the big black uh, stubble that he has most weeks. Yeah. He makes a big gesture out of it, too. And he talks about it in his promo. <laughs> the entire NWO is behind the Hulkster, including Miss Elizabeth, who Bischoff claims is being held hostage. He says, like, literally being held hostage. I'm like, call the cops, dude. That, that's <laughs> not it, okay. If it's literal, then, <laughs> then you're witnessing a crime. Trash flies as the group gets into the ring. Hogan gets on the mic, and oh god, there's eight minutes left in the show. <laughs> the Outsiders, the beginning of the NWO, hey then Hogan, and now this. I guess it's NWO time, brothers. You know, one for all and all for one. But now, friends and countrymen, now that we're on the eve of Halloween Havoc, I thought maybe the macho man Randy Savage would have about this much dignity left, man. I thought maybe after beating him up week after week, the macho man would at least come out here and fight. Well, you know something? I've been out filming my newest movie, The Three Ninjas, brother. Clean shaven and looking good. I can push any button I want to on the Macho Man. I can push the button and make him run. 
I can push the button and make him hide. And now, after the greatest actress in the world, the lovely Elizabeth. See how good she is. <laughs> after the greatest actress in the world, the lovely Elizabeth kidnapped her. Made the macho man break down and cry. Oh, man. I don't even think he's worthy of a title shot for the NWO belt in Halloween Havoc, brother. The macho man is real, real weak. Oh. I'm here. Where's he at right now? Yeah. Hey, man. We got a bunch of friends. We got more friends than we can count on. Wow, check this out. Hey, man. You, too, can join the party. It's NWO time. You know what, man? You two brothers, you guys have never done me wrong. You watched my back the last couple weeks. Oh, they've got their contracts. While the NWO was taking care of business. I love you guys more oh, than I love happy. my own family, man. And uh -oh. I just want to let you know, if there's anything I can do for you, if there's anything that ever needs to be done, just call on me because I'll be there, brother. I know, I know this must sound stupid. I don't even want to bother you with it. But, you know, lack of communication around here. But on the contract that Ted gave us, you know, uh, about the limousine and the Learjets, and most of all, the money with the decimal point, where uh, it should be a little further back, that we should be getting the money, you know, what I'm talking about. I don't know if it's just a screw up. I know it kind of blew, you know, you don't know nothing about it, but you know. No, brother, that, that, that should all be in there. Turn the page. Where's my signature? No, no, the Learjets, the limousines, the money on the paper, that should all, whoa, 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 whoa. I mean, I, I didn't sign that. Do you see my signature on that? You know something, brother? I didn't sign this. So this is the contract I laid out, but you know, you shouldn't have these shirts on unless I sign this. You know what I'm saying? Well, what, are you, what the hell are you talking about? I, I mean, what? No, what I'm talking about is you don't wear our colors unless we tell you. Unbelievable. Take care of the family business for me. How do you like that, Liz? Unbelievable. You don't wear the colors unless we tell you. Hold this trillionaire, Ted. See, he suckered those two nasties into watches. Tag him. And look at six. They're unconscious, the nasty boys. And why I may not like what they did here, attempting to join the NWO, quite frankly. They deserve it. This is a little, this is too much. This is too much. Hogan declares that it's NWO time. In addition to trash, someone appears to throw their entire leather jacket into the ring? I saw that. That was crazy. That and was not cheap, probably. Yeah, 
I like that like the NWO members are around that were they were a bit baffled. Yeah, they really were. And then John just like just kinda kicked it out of the ring. So whoever did that, like, yeah, you just lost your jacket for like two <laughs> seconds of distraction. <laughs> it's like I've already thrown all my food and my yeah. wallet in there. I gotta throw something though. I'm so mad. <laughs> Throwing change. <laughs> Hogan talks about how Macho has no dignity or fight left in him. Hogan says that he's been filing Hogan says that he's been filming his new Three Ninjas movie, and that's why he's clean-shaven. That does not make him sound really intimidating. No. Nope. (laughs) He claims that he can push Savage's buttons and make him do whatever he wants. Liz tries to slap him, but he catches her hand and drags her by the arm, and it's not a pleasant image. He's really pulling her around by the arm, and it's uncomfortable. Yeah. Hogan declares Macho unworthy of a title shot, and out come the Nasty Boys in NWO shirts. Nas... Nobs has the contract that they had either last week or the week before, like the mm-hmm. paperwork that'll officially make them part of the New World yeah. Order. Uh, and they come into the room and high-five Hogan and pose for a bit. Hogan thanks them for watching his back over the past couple weeks and says that he loves them more than he loves his own family and they can ask him for anything they want. Nobs nervously points to the contract and asks for more money. He basically, he's like, the, the decimal point is in the wrong place. Right. Which means they're way off on how much money right. he thinks they should be paid. I like the idea that it's like, third favorite thing, wrestling. Second favorite thing is family. Yeah. First favorite thing, the nasty boys. <laughs> Hogan, Hogan asks to review the contract and then notices that he hasn't actually signed it yet. He's suddenly very perturbed that the Nasties would have NWO shirts on before the documentation was all made official. This is just really goofy. This is weird. I don't... I can't tell if he's pretending that that's what bothers him or if he's just being facetious and he never had any intention. I, I, I'm I, not even sure. Either In either case, Hogan yells at Nobs and Sags and then suddenly the rest of the own... And then suddenly the rest of the NWO cheap shots them and rips their shirts off. The NWO spray paint the Nasty Boys and beat them for a bit. By the way, the Nasty Boys had shirts underneath those shirts, yeah. so they're not you're not seeing them topless right now. Thank Christ. Right. <laughs> if I could I I want Eric Bischoff's address so I could mail him a check now in 2018 <laughs> for not forcing me to see the Nasty Boys. For for like a dollar twenty five. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the announcers think the NWO is going a bit too far, but they also kind of enjoy the Nasties getting some payback for trying to join. <laughs> right. Honestly, this kills the Nasty Boys. Who is going to like them now? They're, they, they're they, like in wrestling purgatory now. There's Yeah, they. I don't know what kind of characters they can portray now. Like, they look like the ultimate dickheads. Right. They look like pussies for getting their ass beat by this group they're trying to join. No one is going to buy them as baby faces. Like, they can't feud with the NWO now. Right. They are just... This makes them completely worthless as a team. Hogan tells Macho that this is only a fraction of what he has planned for Savage at Slim Jim's Hollywood Havoc. Halloween Havoc. I keep fucking saying Hollywood... Hollywood. I can't even... Now that I'm trying to say Hollywood Havoc on purpose, I can't right. even say it. Hogan rants for a bit about being the best, the top of the pecking order, etc. He says that Macho Man's marriage didn't work because Liz was dreaming about him day and night. It's a little uncomfortable because, in truth, Macho does sort of blame his divorce on Hulk Hogan, Mm -hmm. mainly because he thinks that uh, Hogan and, um, oh, I can't, Linda, 
yeah. that Linda Hogan were like talking a bunch of shit about Macho Man behind his back mm-hmm. and convinced Liz to leave. So it wasn't that Macho Man thinks that she was attracted to Hogan, but he does think Hogan was involved in the divorce in a way that he is not happy about. Right. Hogan promises to fly back to Hollywood, finish the Three Ninjas movie, and bring Liz with him. For some reason, he even drops the name of the character that he's playing in that movie. I didn't write down what it was. This is just when you give him a microphone, yeah. and he just ends up... At this point, I notice that his, his throat's getting a little hoarse. Yes. Because he's been talking for a fucking long time. It's amazing to me because he drops the name as if the crowd's going to pop for that, but this movie hasn't finished filming yet. No one knows that character. That, right. that has no goodwill with the audience. They don't know what that means. And again... Mentioning that you're making a Three Ninjas movie, not very intimidating. Hogan tells Liz that she needs to find a new hairdo. He then impersonates Macho Man and blah 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 is literally what I have written in my notes. (laughs) Hogan keeps going and Eric asks for the truck to cut him off. Hogan finally wraps up and the NWO come to the desk. By the time the camera cuts there, Bobby and Tanae have vanished, mm-hmm. and Eric literally jumps over the front of the desk right. and runs off. It's kind of amazing. Yeah. The Outsiders get headsets and talk shit about the Harlem Heat. Hall says that they aren't even from Harlem. They're two country bumpkins from Texas. Yeah. Which is true. They're from uh, Houston. They're not from Harlem at all. Right. I, I was kind of like, uh, I don't know if that's a little bit below the belt. As like a um, not kayfabe thing. It's kind of ridiculous to say that your country bumpkins. Houston is, I think, the number four metro area in the U.S. I think it was New York, L.A., Chicago, Houston. Mm. So it's not like you're not a bumpkin if you're from Houston. Right. <laughs> a little bit of a ridiculous claim. Nash starts talking, but partway through, his mic gets cut. Hogan has a headset, but his mic is off too. Instead of more of them, we instead see a little replay of Savage watching the video earlier and then walking off. And that's the end of this <laughs> week's show. That's I, how we end it. I really liked that that Hogan was talking and no one was telling yeah. him he couldn't hear him. Yeah. But he just kept going on and on. Yeah, that uh, end segment was a little bit interminable. It wasn't as bad as some of the other NWO segments we've seen. But, like, I can't believe that uh, considering how he's actually in real life friends with the nasties that that's what Hogan decided to do with those guys. Right. I don't know if they like pissed him off that week and he wanted to put him in their place or what, but they've completely had their balls cut off. It's <laughs> I'm fascinated to see where we go with that tag team. Uh, so what did you think of this week's show, Dave? That's, that's the whole kid and caboodle. What'd you think? Um, I thought it did. I thought like the second half did a lot better when it came to hyping up for some Jim's Halloween Havoc. Yeah. Um, really, I I did not come away very impressed with any of the actual matches. Sure. Um, to me, to me, it's gonna be pretty memorable for the the Miss Elizabeth video though, which is something that that was like I don't really remember it in from like when I was watching WSW or it's not right. it's not really like a highlight. That's brought up when it comes to the early NWO t- days, but yeah, um, yeah, it just it seemed like for some reason it was just like a like this uh, perfect storm where like this segment just came off like masterfully. Yeah, uh, it's a weird show for me because it's not like I can think of a ton of stuff that I loved about it, mm-hmm. but I felt very positive after watching it. I was like, wow, what a good episode! But now that we've gone through the whole thing. 
the only thing that was great was that one segment. I think I loved that one segment enough to like drive my entire opinion about the show. Yeah. Uh, it really reinvigorated my feelings about Nitro and and then we just went through everything. I was like, well, that wasn't very good. There was just that right. one thing. Right. I, at the very beginning when you were saying that you really like this show, I kind of just like bit my tongue on that. Yeah. Because I was like, I did. Be, I mean, because again, I I typically watch these episodes like the day before. So right. They're still really fresh. I don't know how yeah. long it was that you. I watched it Friday. On Friday. Oh, okay. But uh, uh, For the listener, that's two days ago. Oh, okay. just I, people listening might not know when Friday was. That was I just wanted to make sure. Yeah. Right you watched it one day ago. I watched it two days. Two ago. days ago. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. I, I mean, besides that one segment that was outstanding, I think everything was. But again, I I do think I feel like they did some good progress when it came to matches for some Jim's Halloween Havoc. Yeah. Which is always a plus. I mean, just reminding me that faces of fear are facing. Mago and yeah. um having Jarrett and the Giant. That's such a weird matchup that I'm... I'm really curious because you don't want to beat Jarrett this early, but you also don't want to beat the Giant. I don't know what they're going to do there. That's going to be really interesting. Right. And, um, yeah, then, I, you know, it seemed like you maybe you didn't catch the, the thing about uh, wanting Sting to show up next week. Yeah, I didn't get that hint. Um, I know, uh, spoiler alert, that he will be back next week, but I did not. I missed completely that some seeds were planted for that. Yeah, so I, I think that is really interesting to have him come back after, after having an absence on the go home show. Yeah, to Halloween, some Jim's Halloween Havoc, in which, as far as I know, he's not going to participate in. Or well, no, no, the, the go home show is next week. Yeah, so I'm talking. About, oh, I'm sorry. I'm talking about the idea of him showing up next week. Gotcha. Intrigues me because I don't know how that's going to play off. I got you. Yes. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, other than that, um, I mean, I don't feel like there was really any matches I like outright hated. Yeah. I I mean, Greg Valentine versus Luger was, but that also was like, it was broken up a lot by by. Just staring at Vincent and All the matches on the show were short, so even the ones you didn't like, you never right. hated that much because they were mm-hmm. kind of in and out. Yeah. Meanwhile, over on the other channel, WWF Raw, we had uh, Vader defeated Phineas Godwin. Hmm. Jake Roberts defeated Jerry Lawler. Freddie Joe Floyd defeated Triple H by countout, uh, mostly developing that. Uh, Mr. Perfect versus Triple H feud. <laughs> so I think, I, if I remember right, Mr. Perfect took Triple H's valet and then he left to chase them and got counted out. Sure. So that's, that's the reason. That's also a really good guess, too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Farouk defeated Alex the Pug Porto. And Shawn Michaels defeated Steve Austin via disqualification. Hmm. I don't I don't know the details of what that means, but... Uh... I would like to point out that 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 episode of Raw has only two less matches than Nitro, despite having a show that's half as long. Oh, okay. They're they've got a half as long show, and they only had two less matches. Yeah. So Nitro was really packing in, uh, quick. Or excuse me. So Raw was really packing in a lot of matches, mm. probably presumably short, 
uneventful matches on this uh, yeah, episode. Yeah, you would think so because the, the Nitro matches were short, too. Yeah. I think the longest was like seven minutes. In our ratings roundup, Raw came in with a 1.8 and Nitro uh, at a 3.3. Both are down a little bit. Uh, might be due to Game 5 of the National League Championship Series being on uh, the same evening. Okay. that's That seems like a really big... like. It doesn't sound like Raw's going to be beating Nitro anytime soon. Yeah, Nitro unless, is unless pretty they have dominant. like they have something pretty big hyped up at some point here. Well, that brings us to a little segment that we call Observe This. Observe This, brother! This is what we call a rag sheet. Mr. Perfect is being advertised for a match against Triple H on the October 21st Raw, and Meltzer uh, is unsure if that's just an angle or if Perfect Perfect will be indeed wrestling. Uh, Perfect, of course, has been collecting on a Lloyds of London insurance policy for his back, Mm -hmm. Uh, so he would be, like, turning down a lot of free money, basically, for the rest of his life uh, to not have to wrestle Mm -hmm. just to get back in the ring. So maybe McMahon's been working on it, maybe Perfect's just bored, Meltzer, or maybe it's just an angle and he's not actually going to have the match. Mm-hmm. Right now, Big Dave is not actually very sure. Gene Okerlund and WCW are close to a new agreement. I keep, I, I keep forgetting that he's been gone for like a few weeks now. I, I miss him. I, I really like Gene and I, I do feel like having... Uh, Tanay was doing it for a while, notably tonight, Shivani and Bischoff. Mm-hmm. took over those duties and today didn't do any of the interviews i don't know if there was a reason behind that or what but uh maybe they decided today is not working and that's why tonight was different and why gino is getting closer <laughs> to coming back i'm not sure right down mexico way conan and antonio pena the owner of triple a uh they have basically split the triple a locker room between them there's a big rift down there over arguments about the style that they're working hmm. and some other things uh, one of the issues is that there's a lot of resentment from guys that have not been booked in WCW by Conan, who oh. is basically the conduit through which all these Mexican guys get to WCW. Yeah. Uh, and I know that's something that I mentioned a long time ago that Bischoff mentions in his book, where he said that he had thought, he had kind of been told that Conan was the guy uh, through which to get to these AAA guys, and he wishes that he had known how much Conan would be kind of politicking for like his guys mm-hmm. instead of just bringing in the best guys or yeah. whatever, you know, Randy Savage's contract is up in mid in Randy Savage's contract is up in mid November, but Dave figures that they must have worked out a new deal or are very close because uh, they would be featuring Savage this much. Like when they're just beating him down and humiliating him every week, that's one thing, mm-hmm. but this week he wasn't humiliated. He was just the center of a huge angle So it wouldn't make a ton of sense if he were to be leaving in literally a manage of weeks. On the October 13th WWE House Show in Anaheim, California, two matches were taped for the ABC sitcom Boy Meets World. (laughs) I know Vader uh, had a couple appearances on the show as like Ethan Suppley's dad, so I assume that it was related to that. Ethan Suppley was like a... Well, he's the guy in Mallrats who yells about the schooner not being a sailboat, or, or schooners are a sailboat. Oh, okay. The guy who can't see the 3D image. Yeah. But he was also on Boy Meets World. He was like a kind of a bully character, if I remember right. And Vader played his father in a couple mm-hmm. of episodes. You, you really read my blank look when yes. you said <laughs> yeah. I was like, 
Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Figured I'd explain. He was also the uh, the guy in My Name is Earl. His, uh, uh, Jason Lee's, like, buddy on that show. Oh. Another Mallrats guy. Well, how about that? Filmed in Minnesota. Small world. Cheap, cheap plug for the state of Minnesota. <laughs> uh, Walt... Legend uh, of the ring, Wahoo McDaniel, has been forced to retire due to a heart condition. Uh, so that got diagnosed. By 1996, he had to be pretty old, so I guess it's not a big surprise. I was about to say, is he like... He might be in his like sixties. That's a good question. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm not sure, but he is. Uh, he's been told to hang up the boots. Meltzer then dives into the numbers behind the ratings and throws out some interesting facts, like WCW doubling the WWF audience in the adult demographic. The WWF continues to dominate house show business, partly because of kids and teenagers who are more likely to att- uh, attend a live event. The biggest takeaway of this kind of little business breakdown that Meltzer does that I think is interesting is that the Monday Night Wars have added a ton of new fans, but they are mostly adult men who watch WCW, presumably because it has the names that they are familiar with from their youth. Mm -hmm. Quote Meltzer, While WWF has lost about 20% of its audience across the board either to disinterest or WCW, the vast majority of the WCW audience is an older group that never watched Raw. This is something that people kind of talk about a lot, was whether Nitro siphoned Raw's viewers or whether they created their own viewers that eventually when Nitro goes away, kind of disappeared into the ether. They didn't convert to WWF fans. Mm -hmm. They just sort of left altogether. So basically, Raw was losing viewers and Nitro was gaining viewers, but they're for different, completely different reasons. Yes. Then if you just looked at the, the very base numbers, you would, probably just make the assumption you just assume that there like there weren't new fans being made this goes back to um wf's argument the when nitro uh, was announced that they were going to be fighting it was you know uh it was a fight over the same fans mm-hmm. whereas it never really turned out that way i mean to a degree that's true yeah um but a lot of the fans were were fans of the specific brand they weren't just wrestling fans who were up for grabs yeah they were guys who either liked one company or they didn't, and if that one company got bad, they just stopped watching completely. Uh, Dave Meltzer also makes the very prescient point that if the WWF wants to rebuild their television product, they are going to have to move in a more adult direction. And for 1996, that's a really uh, smart point to make. Yeah, <laughs> I think we'll see that uh, WWF comes around to agreeing with him. Ultimo Dragon won the eight championship J crown from the great Sasuke. Dragon was supposed to defend the belt against Jusher Liger on Halloween Havoc, but unspecified political problems has uh, resulted in that match being called off. I assume that just means both guys refuse to do the job and the uh, Japanese promotions that they're affiliated with couldn't agree on who was supposed to do the job. Mm -hmm. So instead that match has just been pulled completely. I'm pretty excited because it's not till January, but I will be seeing the great Sasuke live. Oh, he's coming to wrestle Palooza. Oh, nice. There's then uh, to finish up, there's a little section. Oh yeah. This, this cracked me up. Uh, Dave writes a little bit about some exploits that Sabu has been having over in Japan including a great story where he was unhappy with how much a promotion had been paying him. So he refused to lose to anyone uh, except for two cold, except for two cold Scorpio, 
who was just a guy he likes and worked with in ECW. Yeah. So after the bull sides, him and the promotion couldn't agree. He said that he was going home. Mm-hmm. Then instead, he went to the arena the night of the show and waited until they announced that he wasn't going to be part of the show and, like, disappointed the fans. Mm-hmm. And then he walked through the front door in full gimmick, his yeah. entire Sabu outfit, so that uh, he f- basically forced their hand to putting him on the card. So they were, like, not going to put him on the card because he wouldn't job to any of their guys. Uh-huh. And then he forced them to put him on the card by proving to the crowd that he was healthy and happy. <laughs> so it would be on the promotion if he wasn't on the card. Yeah. So they had to let him on, and then he beat whoever it was that he didn't want to job to in the first place. Right. Just, like, some real carny bullshit yes. <laughs> by Sabu. Yeah. I love that story. That was good times. <laughs> uh, so that that really is the end of our show. It just brings us to one more thing, and that, of course is our segment of the night and our MVP. Mm-hmm. Dave, uh, why don't we start with MVP this week? No, I'm sorry. Dave, why don't we start with our segment of the night? Uh, and I'll start because I feel like mine is is no surprise. My segment of the night is definitely that Liz video and the Macho Man's reaction to it mm-hmm. afterward. That was uh, completely the segment on which this entire show hinged. Uh, and I just couldn't imagine giving it to anything else. What about you? I I have to agree. And there's nothing else that really stands to it, that stands up to it. Um, whatever is number two is like a far number two. So, yeah. Uh, no, I, I agree with that segment. All right. And my MVP of the night, I'm going to give it to uh, somebody I really never saw myself giving a MVP of the night to. Someone who uh, pulled out real tears which is just an incredible thing for given how much I, I've never thought that this person was a particularly good actress. Uh, if you can't figure it out by all that, I'm of course giving my MVP of the night to Miss Elizabeth Holstad. Eustad? Something like that. Miss Elizabeth, goddammit. Alright. What about you? Who is your MVP of the show? And I will give my MVP to old Double J himself, Jeff Jarrett. I thought that they did a really good job of like of really establishing him as a face. Um, I thought I, I just liked the kind of the old school Memphis style match they uh, matchup that they had, and they and in the and by doing the interview afterwards, they also got a a really weird, interesting match for Halloween Havoc for some Jim's Halloween Havoc with uh, Jeff Jarrett and the Giants. So I'm gonna give mine to Jeff Jarrett. All right, well, we are running pretty long. Uh, we are, as usual, much longer than the show that it was that we were reviewing. Right. So <laughs> we'll go ahead and call it there. We've got one more week. We've got the go-home show for Slim Jim's Halloween Havoc. We're going to cover it next uh, next episode. I don't want to lean too much into it because, you know, things could change and it could not work out. Uh, but I believe we're going to be joined by a guest for next week's episode oh, okay. uh, because there's a lot to talk about we've talked about uh, we've spoiled already Sting is coming back next episode and I think there's some exciting things that we can get into mm-hmm. uh, resulting with uh, his return and the gimmick change that he's undergone Yeah. Uh, so I think our guest is going to have some interesting things to say about kind of how that came together uh, and we will hear all about it right here where the big boys play 20 years of Nitro. Where is Sting when you need him?
him. What happened to this race car with Sting's picture on the hood? Didn't he like it?